Hey everyone, this is episode 49 of Sketch Watch Play, a pop culture podcast talking movies, TV, cartoons, video games, and everything that comes with those. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and most third-party podcast apps and directories. Uh, if you want to stay updated or send us feedback and topic suggestions, you can email us at sketchwatchplay at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SketchWatchPlay. Join the Discord server located in episode descriptions. And if you enjoy what you hear, you can support the show by leaving positive reviews on Apple Podcasts and just spreading the word to friends, family, and social media. I am John Fleury, and joining me today is returning guest and fellow podcaster Felipe Diaz-Vera. Felipe, how are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, just kind of enjoying my day off. It's a little weird recording on a... Uh, uh, not with, it's been a while since I've been on this podcast or was, any podcast that's not, uh, generation animation. Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder how many new listeners we have who is like, who is this? Who is this? Um, it has been a hot minute since you've been on this show. I checked the rhythm game episode in 2018 was your last appearance. 2018. That's four years ago. I know. Dude. I know. It doesn't feel <laughs> that long ago, but I guess part of it is I also took a year off from the show, so that was less time yeah. for you to be on. And uh, then I've just had a lot of I had a lot of family on, but I'm trying to get back to you know remote uh, guests from throughout the country. Nice, um, but yeah, it, it doesn't. It, it also, I think it also do, maybe doesn't feel that as long because I've been on your show a couple times in the you know in the midterm. Yeah, uh, the show that recently actually celebrated its tenth anniversary. Cause Isn't that crazy? Time, time is weird. Yeah, especially, <laughs> especially when you're an adult. Yes, uh, but yeah. So um, tell us about your is, show, just for for those who are newer to Sketchwatch Play and may oh, not have heard yeah. before. Sure thing. So Generation Animation is a general animation based podcast where we talk about all things cartoons, anime, uh, and everything in between, from internet shorts, uh, music videos. Uh, basically, if it's animated, we count it. Uh, and sometimes we like have we've been bra- bending the rules a little bit as of late, considering. Uh, but like we've been like you know, oh puppetry, like you know, does that count as animation? And we kind of came to a conclusion like yeah, uh, <laughs> like things like that. Um, but yeah, we've been running the show for t- ten years. By the time you hear this episode, uh, we probably would have already uh, launched our annual uh, Halloween spooktacular. Nice. Uh, normally, the show is hosted by me, Bianca, Tyler, Dave. Uh, however, also by the time you hear this episode, uh, it's just going to be me and Dave for a little bit. Uh, so get ready for a lot more guests on that show as yeah, well. Yeah, it's always – there are like four or five regular co-hosts, but it's kind of uh, rotating over the three years. Yeah, yeah. Bianca's been on an extended leave for a bit. And yep. Tyler, uh, because he is going to be on an onstage production of Rocky Horror Picture Show for the next month or so. Uh, it's gonna be uh, that's right. Me and me and Dave Roberts, uh, who've been basically the founders of this that podcast, and yes, my, recent and listeners been doing may it for recognize. Recent listeners may recognize Dave because we did have him on uh, within the past year for the He Man and uh, Dalcloud Santa Claus episodes. Yeah, you've had every Gen N host, I think, on because I, I know you yes, had Bianca. But, no, no, I had Bianca on for a Zelda episode in the early days. Yes, um, I and want then to have Mark was on Final Fantasy. Yes. Uh, Tyler, I think Tyler was, uh, was Tyler did, did, we did multiple Marvel movies and then I was like, pick something unique and he's, we did Back to the Future. Nice. Um, and you've been on yeah. multiple times for stuff like Powerpuff Girls, uh, Rhythm Game was the last one. I feel like there's one other, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Sam and Max. Yeah. Uh, we did a Sam and Max episode way yeah. back in the day. It's funny cause I'm looking uh, at the Discord chat. The last thing I sent you is that Guardians of the Galaxy audio edit I made. 
Yes, I know. I was actually uh, looking at it recently. I was actually going through old Tumblr favorites, and I saw that clip again. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I that's like been this. like one of the most popular Tumblr posts. It keeps getting, I keep getting notifications about it. Uh, though nowadays, the one I I get notifications for, it took a lot less effort. I just took a screen grab of the most popular uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners character. <laughs> that's all it takes. Ah oh, man, old people simp for Rebecca. Yeah, and um, I, if I if I can, I just want to plug one other tiny thing really quick. Plug all you want, if I may. This is the first time anyone's going to hear about this. Uh, I am uh, so YouTube.com/slash/fizzucker. Uh, I am going to be releasing a long-form video essay that I'm not going to spoil what the topic is about, but it's the first time I've done a, a, a YouTube video that's not a re-upload or a private video for a friend in over a decade, in 12 years, in fact. Oh, that's uh, Because I got inspired about a recent fascination of mine and what started as just me just thinking of ideas while I was getting carts at work turned into a potentially 30 to 40-minute video that oh. gets me back into YouTube video editing and just... It, it, I'm excited for it. That is very <laughs> exciting. Uh, text me the the link to your uh, YouTube username just so I spell it right, because I'll include it in the show description. Okay, I definitely will. Yeah. Oh, but that's exciting. So yeah, look, uh, go check out. Uh, yeah. Felipe's- I mean, the, the YouTube channel does have like I I used to post episode by episode analysis of the cartoon Super Robot Monkey yes. Team Hyperforce Go. Uh, I got about partway through season three before I stopped because it was just a lot of work. Is it on Disney uh, Plus yet? It is. Uh, oh. However, there's one annoying aspect about it being on Disney Plus. Is it cropped? Um, yeah. So the show was made in widescreen, uh, but at date at the time, like Disney didn't have uh, the programs in widescreen. It was in full screen. Right. Um, widescreen versions of the show exist because Disney XD had it in widescreen. Uh, however, it's up on Disney Plus in the original Jetix four by three format, uh, which is a teeny bit annoying. But I mean, all the episodes are there, so yeah. The important thing yeah. is it's there, and you can still follow yeah. it. But yeah, it's it is annoying when you when you know that there's whenever there you know there there is a widescreen version and they crop it, especially in this day and age. I don't know why they would. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious because they did the opposite with The Simpsons back in the day where they zoomed yes, in. <laughs> and everybody complained and the, until they added an option to change it because Simpsons was – they there were jokes they got ruined because they cut out text. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we've got some fun stuff to dive into today. So this was um, one where I think we – brainstormed for a while and our main topic kind of came from some mutual like game series where you, like actually we were originally planning to have you on I think it was what July yeah we were gonna like mid midsummer we were going to do a, uh, an episode uh where it's a, that topic is still tangentially related to the main topic of this episode yeah, we so can bring, we can bring it up but um because the original current media was going to be the remasters of the Klonoa games, which launched, I think, in June or July like th- this past summer. Um, not as recent now, but I think we can still figure out a way to fit some Klonoa talking to our main topic, which kind of evolved from like bringing up certain game series that came out during that time. But uh, we do have something a bit more recent. I guess technically, if according to the video description, it's like it came out in 2017, but it got a legal YouTube upload recently. And this is something different for us, uh, but straight up Felipe's Alley, and I wanted to learn a bit about it myself, that being the Vice documentary from homeless to pro skater Chad Muska. So many stories, but, uh, yeah. What up, tree? We're going to touch this tree. Yeah, so this 
blew up over the past two weeks because of the fact that Vice put it up on their YouTube channel, and uh, it, it basically became a big deal. So for the, those of you that don't know who Chad Muska is, uh, he is a professional sc- – Former? I don't know if he still is. I think he still works for Circa, even though he's not like he's not like going out anywhere and doing stuff. Yeah, but, we'll get to, uh, to why. Yes, uh, but a professional skateboarder, uh, big deal in the late, mid to late '90s to early 2000s. Uh, you may, if you ever heard the name, it's either because you're a hardcore like uh, skateboarding fan, or you just really like the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series. Yes, and I was going to say, I was going to say because I know you've brought up uh, Pro Skater on Jenna in the past, like with the music and stuff, um, and I'm sure the remasters helped put it back on people's mind. But I, I was asking, oh, do you know these guys because of Pro Skater? But you're you're actually into the general skateboarding scene. So uh, I had friends that in uh, in elementary and middle school that loved to skateboard. Uh, I could not skateboard, so I became their cameraman. I would run behind them with my VHS camcorder that I borrowed from my mom and shoot footage of them just ollieing in the park and things like that. Cool. Uh, through that, I started watching the X Games in the late 90s. And, uh, of course, during 1998 1999, that's when Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out. Uh, so it kind of just became just this whole mishmash of things. But the hilarious part is most of the popular skaters of that time uh, were known from competition stuff. You know, Tony Hawk and Bob Burnquist and Bucky Lassick. Uh, Bob Burnquist, that's a name. I know nothing about the real guy, but he was my main when I played the first pro skater. He is Brazilian and he is amazing. Uh, He's the one that brought the mega ramp to – so before there was only two types of like skating that was popular, uh, street skating and vert skating. Vert skating is that half pipe ramp that you just go up and down and up and down. Yeah, I get to And street skating is self-explanatory. You straight on the street, you try to grind rails, ollie off of stuff, so on and so forth. Uh, He invented the mega ramp along with Danny Way. Maybe not invented. I think Danny Way invented the mega ramp, but Bob Burke was said to make it a competition and brought it to the X Games. Wow! Or people are jumping these giant ass gaps, <laughs> like, and like Thanks, he's kind of like yeah, Bob Burnquist is the man and uh, really cool guy apparently. But uh, let me ask: Did you was Chad Muska someone you followed back when in it, when he was like active? Oh, here's the thing. That's the, the crazy thing because I followed it through not through magazines or videos. I followed it through. Um, the X Games and stuff, I kept... There are certain people that are like urban legends if you don't like follow the scene super... And Chad Muska is one of them because he never went to competitions. Okay. Uh, he he was, was a video skater. Yeah, he um, was more just a freeform, almost like performer. Yeah. Uh, he literally showed up to one X Games street competition on a whim in Los Angeles in the early 2000s and won it. Nice. And that's his only X Games appearance ever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're going to do it once, make an impact. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Chad Muska is interesting compared because uh, for those that don't know, uh, the skateboarding scene is very punk rock, do-it-yourself. Uh, a lot of the guys you see are kind of whether like, like, like hardcore rock types or just like kind of nerdy, just athletic. Like look at Tony Hawk, for example. Uh, he is just a dude. A lot of the skateboarders at the time are just dudes. Um, you know, Bucky Lassick, just a dude. Uh, Jamie Thomas, just a dude. Um, a uh, dude. Alyssa Steamer, just a girl. She's a dude because <laughs> we're all dudes. Hey! Chad Muska got popular because he was good and he had this like 
white boy hip hop energy is the best way I can put it. That well, it's accurate. It goes into uh, even in his youth, like he he has a genuine love uh, for for rap and hip hop. It's not just yeah. it's not just a style. It's he he's he's invested in it. Yeah, what's funny is uh, in the documentary he visits San Diego where he was uh, he ran away from home. Uh, right. And uh, he bumped into the streets one of the people he grew up with uh, when he was at the skateboarding area of San Diego. And he talked about, like, there's this little white boy talking so much shit that I just kind of liked him and he became part of my crew. Main <laughs> like, impression. Yeah. I did uh, love uh, him, like, scenes of him revisiting the beach where he was literally, like, sleeping on the street in his younger days. And, like, he recognizes this one big tree and is like, what's up, tree? I'm going to touch this tree. Yeah, because it's like it's pers like Ch- Ch- Chad Muska of now s- seems like a very chill dude, and I'm happy yes. to see that he's kind of calmed down uh, now that he's in his what late 30s, something like that. I just looked it up. He is uh, he turned 40 this year. Yeah, because um, uh, again, he was the the shit talker, partier. Uh, once he got very very famous. Uh, some people may also know him as uh, one of the people that would always hang around, like Paris Hilton, Nicole yeah. Richie, and things like that. Yeah, which is weird considering, like you know, he's a professional skateboarder. <laughs> who knows how that happened? But you know, when you make some money, you start hanging out with people who have money. Yeah, I actually, after I watched this documentary, the first thing I did is like those circus shoes look really comfy. I wonder if they're still in business, and they are. Uh, circus shoes is still a thing. Uh, the cool. the skateboarding shoe company that he co-founded. Yeah, I think he actually goes into uh, that hack. That kind of came out as a result of, like he he t- they directly touch on Pro Skater and like they were not at all counting on it to blow up like it did, and it made them like so much more recognizable, and it led to more endorsement and work opportunities. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of things like that. Just the skateboarders are they make pro skateboarders make decent money, especially at that time. But even then, like Pro Skater just blew up bigger than. It. So, um, did you ever hear the the Tony Hawk uh, story about where when he had dinner with the head guy from Activision? No. So uh, Tony Hawk, this is when Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Four was just about to come out. Okay. And Tony Hawk One, Two, and Three were all still in like the top ten action sports games uh, yeah. list of of PlayStation. And he had dinner with him. And and he's like, man, this thing blew up a lot bigger than I expected. He's like, yeah, it's like we want to thank you, want to keep you around. And the CEO of Activision handed Tony Hawk a check for four million dollars, and he's like, he's never even seen one million dollars in his life. So he was like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, I I I was in a situation like that. I'd probably go into shock. I'd like shut down for a few seconds to process it. Yeah, because he was the, he immediately like he he uh, when the interview asked him like what do you do like I don't know like do I put this in my bank do I just go to like Bank of America and just deposit this I guess so <laughs> yeah apparently he used most of that money to build theme uh, not theme parks uh, skate parks around the United States because oh, that's cool. a big big thing he's into just giving back to the community things like that yeah he's he's uh, Tony Hawk is someone who yeah I've heard I've not heard people should talk he kind of he seems pretty genuine. Yeah, he's too busy memeing himself on Twitter by everyone saying, "Hey, you look like Tony Hawk," <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he always has a, like a, a a funny response to it. Because uh, there's a ro- long running meme called Tony Hawk's Existential Nightmare, where people constantly tell him he looks like Tony Hawk without realizing it's actually Tony Hawk. <laughs> uh, That's, I, I wonder what makes them think, "Oh, but it can't be Tony Hawk." 
I guess if he doesn't have a skateboard in his hands, you don't think it's Tony Hawk. It can't be Tony Hawk. He's not holding a skateboard. That's his life. Yeah. But, my um, favorite response is uh, – we'll get back to the time I was going to say. My favorite yeah. is uh, uh, like a, a 13 or 14-year-old girl went up to him and was like, are you Tony Hawk? And Tony Hawk said yes. And then she goes, why? Good question. <laughs> I guess, well, his, his parents loved each other very much and – yeah, um, but yeah, actually, uh, go ahead. Uh, I did want to say uh, inverse thing. Uh, I've seen. I think it's. Uh, I don't know if she's still doing them, but uh, uh, the inverse. You know Nancy Cartwright, right? Yes. Have you seen the videos where she surprises people on the street by just bringing out the Bart voice all of a sudden? Like she starts a <laughs> yeah. conversation, and then she's like, "Who the hell are you?" And they're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> it's great stuff. Um, like I love that aspect of stuff. But uh, back to the Muska thing. Yeah. What's very I found very interesting about it is um, I was aware of skate videos being a thing in the back in the day. Um, when I did my research, I didn't realize how big of a deal they were back in the day. Uh, because the skate or die video or whatever the, the video was called that Musk was working on was like a huge fucking deal, and skate videos apparently launched a lot of stuff for people. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know, the CKY skate videos that Bam Margera was in helped, like, co-found Jackass. Oh, thanks, CKY. <laughs> like, things like that were, like, a huge deal back in the day. You know, people would just, like, film for, like, hours and hours and hours, just uh, days and days and days, just trying to find one trick at one location. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, even knowing, you know, basically nothing about the skateboarding industry and, and these side industries that we're talking about, uh, watching the clips of Muska in the documentary from these videos, that man can grind. Uh, yeah. It is, he makes it look so easy. And the parts that really got to me were, and I don't know if there's a term for it, but typically when you grind on a ledge or a rail, you do it with like perpendicular with the sides of the skateboard sticking out horizontally. He would do it vertically, which. Yeah. So uh, the term you're looking for is 50, 50, uh, where you just grind on the axles of the yeah, of the skateboard and not the board degrees. itself. Like, that must take such precision, and he makes it look like oh yeah. But I'm sure it's like he's he's been doing this so much of his life. He's just he's passionate about it, and it translates in talent. Yeah, uh, and you can see how he got the story of him going to Europe and being chased by like 300 kids with skateboards <laughs> to sign. I, I love the part where like it's showing certain kids being funny with him, and there's this little girl who's like, "I love Chad Mustard, my favorite skateboarder." <laughs> Another one who's got like like made him drape over his arms, like he adopted me. Chad Muska adopted me. Yes, this little kid just is holding on. Chad, Chad Muska adopted me. <laughs> so um, he wasn't lying about um, certain. So certain skateboarders had skateboard decks. That even if you weren't a skateboard, they were like cool to hang on your wall. Mm. The deck is, by the way, is the wooden part of the skateboard that doesn't have any wheels or axles on it. Oh, it's called is the it deck. the kind? Is it the part you decorate? Yeah, yeah the part the with the paint itself. on the bottom end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were huge sellers back in the day, and so to a point, still are. Some people do still like to hang them on their walls as art pieces and things sure. like that. And there were like four skateboard decks that I think are like iconic. Uh, that and one of them is the is the muska of him like it's just white and red the word muska and him sitting on the ledge. I think they show it briefly in the documentary. They might have. Um, yeah, that and that's the one that Jonah Hill says like I have it hanging on my wall and I'm not selling selling this. <laughs> Dude, when Jonah Hill popped up, I I did a double take. Yes, <laughs> there's that. There's the Tony Hawk Birdhouse board. There's the. Jamie Thomas Zero board, that's like super, and there's the Eric Costin girl board, which my sister had 
uh, an Eric Costin girl board. Uh, uh, that's when I learned I didn't or wasn't good at skateboarding. Um, <laughs> but you can still like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, tr- I tried to, and I just couldn't balance. Like, it was a big thing for me. I was just like, I'll just ride my bike. Yeah. I'll tell <laughs> you, uh, side note, I'm I'm trying to get into, I guess I am getting into technically uh, game modding. Have you heard about the Guitar Hero modding scene? I am aware of it, yes. People are it's taking been around world... for a while. People are doing, like, uh, have been doing uh, note charts for Guitar Hero. Well, yeah, Clone we talked, Hero go back to our rhythm, our rhythm episode. We talked about Clone Hero 2, but now it's extending to, like, the games themselves because I guess Guitar Hero 3 and World Tour got PC ports, and now people have figured out how to do, like, custom character models, and so that's what I'm Oh, yeah. Uh, there's this uh, one uh, YouTube guy that I watch from time to time. Is it Akai? Akai, yeah. <laughs> he got modded into Guitar I was going to say, 30. they made a model of him. And actually, one I saw recently uh, that got a response from from the person, uh, the Game Grumps got put in, and somebody tweeted it to Aaron. He went, what the hell? Yes. All respect to the modding scene. But yeah, Chad Muska blew up, made a lot of money. Now, it wasn't just successful as a skateboarding scene. He freaking uh, – so he founded a, a hip-hop company called Muska yeah. Beats. yeah. It shows him. I don't. I think he maybe he recorded some stuff. I don't know if it's him rapping or doing instruments or what. But he was rapping. But for the most part, like I don't think anything he released has him rapping. Everything he has is just his. He makes a beat and he gets a rapper that for you're like you're shocked the notoriety of these rappers he gets. Dude, I gotta say when it when it showed, I I saw Ice T fondling some girl's boob. and I, but the one that got to me was Biz Marquee because I was like, oh, time comes for us all. Yeah, but it's 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 nuts. Uh, how uh, you can see how he made all that money so he can buy uh, the infamous uh, Chadillac Muscalade, which is actually in Tony Hawk's Underground. Like the first person you meet in Tony Hawk's Underground on PS2 is Chad Muska in the Muscalade. Oh, nice. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, one part in the modern day parts that made me happy was him saying, "Yeah, get a Prius. You don't worry about this. Like, get a Prius because because I'm a Prius owner." <laughs> like, no, it's like, nah, get a Prius. <laughs> I will. Yeah, but like, it's funny how like I used to love uh, this the the myth of Chad Muska because you uh, with the only stuff you can t- see him time you can see him skateboard is. Uh, like you unlock videos in Tony Hawk or like maybe if you're lucky, you'd find a something like on him, like on TV briefly. Oh, like the pre YouTube days. Yes. Like I was like Chad Muska, like Chad Muska and also to even rare Kareem Campbell are like, like they're so hard to find footage of <laughs> like back in the day. But then like Chet, you see the story about him kind of spiraling out of control, even like before he blew up, like him, before he, him, uh, Get not being on the skate or die video that or oh, whatever. Oh, and it was he called. threw a hissy fit and got fired. Yeah, he, he got a, he was he got drunk at the movie premiere at seventeen years old and yelled at his boss's face because of an exporting issue. Yeah, they couldn't show the premiere. <laughs> there was a tech issue, and he he got pissy about it. Um, yeah, and he talks about how that was that was like a kind of wake up moment for him in terms of like lesson learned. Yeah, but even then, like, uh, you fast forward years later, and he's, like, you know, getting arrested. Like, he has the full, long, like, long hair and the beard. He doesn't even he look like, like Chad Muska anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and him getting showing up on TMZ for, like, drunkenly calling out cops and shit. Yeah, it's... he was he was on something. It didn't seem just like beer. I'm like, there's there's some substance going on. 
Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you realize that uh, he's been he's injured himself quite a bit in recent years. Uh, yes, we it, and they were both caught on tape. Uh, a leg dislo- dislocation, and then when he let that yeah. heal a bit, a disc slip. Yeah. And, and he doesn't yeah. want to get yeah he doesn't want to get surgery on the disc slip because he's afraid if he does he'll never skate again. Yeah, but uh, he hasn't. But he also hasn't uh, skated regularly since, and he has no idea if he will or, or not. Yeah, I think yeah because the thing is he does skate from time to time, and he actually did a, like a one eighty uh, uh, no an uh, ollie kickflip off a ramp to end the documentary. Yeah, and it sucks uh, if he is like done professionally because I know that you know age age means more more susceptibility to injuries, but uh, is Tony Hawk still skating? Not professionally. Uh, so uh, Tony Hawk... So looks uh, it up. He's absolute, 53. Yeah, but Tony Hawk uh, still like do, do, do demos and things like that, even up to like two years ago. Okay. Uh, however, down, he... Well. Uh, no, what happened was uh, he fractured his, his uh, femur in half. Mm. Mm. And he hadn't, up until like two or three months ago, hadn't even stepped on a skateboard since then. Uh, but there's a great YouTube video that came out like literally two months ago about Tony Hawk does his first kickflip since injury. And it took him like, you see, like he took like 40 tries just to land a kickflip. He was out of practice, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't think you'll ever see Tony Hawk uh, even like maybe on a regular ass vert ramp ever again. But there's still guys that are... Up there in age, they're still going. Bucky Lassick still uh, competes. Bob Burnquist still competes. Danny Way still competes. Um, and there are people that just skateboard for a show. Uh, uh, Rune Glyphberg still goes. Oh, man. What's the name of the guy that like does like the standalone stuff? It's going to bother me if I don't look this Dude, up. Dude, you're asking the wrong person that question. Yeah, there's a guy. Um, one sec. Well, uh, but uh, while I look it up, I will say... <laughs> Just uh, Chad Muska, in theory, could still go if he was healthy, but skateboarding is a young man's game. If you watch the X Games now, a lot of the top-ranked people are like 15, 20s. 16. Oh, Jesus. Like, no, younger than that. High school age. Wow. <laughs> like, Teens. Yeah, they're teenagers. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course, I there mean, are guess... still like the people that are much like are much older that are still good. Like, you know, Sandra Diaz is in his late um, 30s, and he's still yeah. competing. I guess so. Muska was in his teens, too, when he started. I just forgot that, because it mostly shows him older. But I will say, like, the parts we get of him on day, like, it's it's not like things are going badly for him, because he's, like, he goes into, like, he's picked up a more healthy diet and lifestyle. He's still, he's actually making art, too. I don't know about the hip-hop, but uh, he's doing painting and, and, like, graffiti and stuff. Uh, and my favorite bit is collection of raising these cute, dopey-looking pugs. Oh, yeah, they look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the tongue and stuff. I'm like, these are dopey dogs, but I'm sure they're very sweet. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the way it leaves you is like, it's it's kind of like a, almost like a rise and fall and rise again story. Um, now, granted, yeah. the, 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 neither the, the drug arrest or the, uh, or the drunk arrest, whatever he was, he was on. Yeah, or whatever the, he was uh, on. Or the, the injuries, like, ruined his reputation or livelihood or anything like that. But they were like wake up calls and like transitionary. Um, but it leaves you, cause they go into like, you know, him getting swept up in the glitz and, and the risk of, you know, Hollywood and, and celebrity culture. And you look at other people and you're like, this could have gone way worse. And it's, it's nice that he's, you know, he's, he's entering middle age with a healthy lifestyle and outlook. Yeah. Uh, for the record, the person I was trying to think about was Rodney Mullen, um, who who uh, 
He's famous because uh, he came up in the era of flat boarding. So that's not a thing anymore, but it's super cool to watch. Where you just, you, because back in the day when you would tour competitions in the late 80s or whatever, mm. people aren't going to let you skate anywhere in the street and they're not going to build vert ramps for you. So all you have is just an open set of street and you would just go out there and just um, do what you need to do. Just check and, on, on the flat street? Yeah. Mm. And he was a pioneer in that kind of thing. And he is super cool to watch. Uh, when we're done here, I, I'm going to send you just a quick Rodney Mullen thing. And That'd be cool. He is literally so crazy to watch. Oh, you send you send gift. Is that him? <laughs> yeah. And watch this. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's like literally just nothing but just street. And that's not even like the half of it. Uh, yeah, like, that you really see looks him, like, like you, should, you should go down in a heap and he just makes it – he just lands like it's nothing. Yeah. He's the one that invented the dark slide, which is a trick where you slide on the opposite end of your board. Like his whole thing is, uh, he just if you give him just flat ground, he will trick. Wow, uh, he is he is nuts. That is, oh, he's had another hand on. Let me see. Um, he's doing the hand. St- oh my god, <laughs> that's the thing. They make it look so easy. Yes. Uh, for those who aren't yeah. okay, so for those who can't see this, he has his board on the ground. He's standing on it, on doing a handstand on one hand. He like jumps up in the air and flips the board, and the board lands sideways, and he plants his feet and lands on it. And it doesn't fall over. Yeah. Holy Apparently, shit. Rodney Mullen invented a lot of the flat. He invented the primo, the impossible. Like oh, the 360 shove it. That's all Rodney Mullen. I was gonna say, like, I wonder, like, how much can flatboarding really bring? And I'm like, oh, it can bring quite a bit if you get creative. Yeah, like the thing about flatboarding is, it's it's super interesting, and nobody does it anymore because it's very specific. Sure. Um, it's a niche. Like most people are either vert skate or big air uh, skateboarders nowadays. Yeah, there's but, a big ones. Yeah. But do you find someone who's super, super good at flatboarding. I don't know if there's anybody on the level of a Rodney Mullen in these days, but Rodney still does it from time to time. Like he, uh, he, he has done Ted talks on uh, skateboarding oh. because he invented like a lot of the flatland tricks that he's down. Now street skaters do off of, uh, like off of like ledges or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I think I think this is a documentary that we are both going to recommend. Obviously, uh, yes. I I would even say like it would certainly help if you're like Felipe and have an interest in this like this uh, subculture. Uh, me knowing nothing about it, I still thought it was interesting to look into the history of it and also the history of of Muska. Um, yeah, because Chad Muska, at the end of the day, he's one of the few skateboarding personalities again the biggest stars in skateboarding are usually because they're just really really good at skateboarding not to say chad muska wasn't in fact he was fantastic oh i was those grinds yes but there's an infamous uh, image on thrasher magazine i believe where he does a board slide holding a boom box and that became his signature he would walk around with a big ass boom box that was the thing for the documentary he often had boom boxes handy because of his music, his, his music love. And I think music is very highly tied to uh, to skating, which I know as you're also a music guy, so perfect match. Yeah. Uh, I think, honestly, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1, a part of the appeal of it is not just the cool skateboarding, but the exposure to the, yes. the hard rock and industrial metal and the alternative hip-hop soundtracks that were in those games. And the ska, Superman. And the ska, yes. Of course, the most infamous Tony Hawk song in there is a ska song. Um, (laughs) 
but like, uh, it's fun. but yeah, it's we both recommend uh, this. And the nice thing is, it is legally available, totally free to watch on Vice's YouTube channel. Uh, I will include a link to it in the description. It's a brisk forty-five minutes, and it's very cool and uh, kind of a just neat look into this thing, yeah. into this whole thing. Vice Anything documentary, uh, just Vice documentaries can be sometimes a little iffy. Uh, however, uh, th this uh, series of videos they've done on skateboarders. Um, is super cool because you can tell it's made by someone who adores skateboarding. That always helps. Um, there's one that I haven't watched yet that I've been putting off, one on Spike Jones, who started as a, a skateboarder, right. eventually worked on Jackass, and freaking made Academy Award-nominated films. Yeah, I've, I've seen, <laughs> seen and liked uh, two of his movies, and I, I actually remember seeing him uh, in Jackass and being like, how, how did that – Connection come about turns out it's a skateboarding just, aspect because yeah, uh, Bam and the Bam Margera, Steve O, uh, Ryan Dunn, and Wee Man were all skateboarders. Yeah, because Tony Hawk appears in some Jackass movies as well. So I guess okay, okay, that makes sense now because I just thought it was just maybe just the area and the subculture, but it's it's skateboarding itself. Oh, the more you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Skateboard skateboarders, unless they're beefing, tend to pretty much stay decently together. Good for them. Yeah, that's why you see like, you know, a one-off Rodney Mullen doc, and you get Eric Costin and Tony Hawk and Alyssa Steamer and Jamie Thomas for it, like, and Jonah Hill apparently. Does Jonah Hill skate, or does he just? I, I think he, he just. Must... Sound, it sounds like he's a. Fa I think he's just a, a fan, which again, oh, okay. I'm one of them too. Yeah. Uh, unless he like, I'd love to see Jonah Hill on a skateboard, but the way he talked about getting the Rodney Mullen Rising Sun uh, deck on his wall means like he's one of those people that just really appreciates the art and hangs the decks uh, like kind of pieces. Yes. <laughs> but yes, uh, very cool documentary. Any other Vice documentaries you'd recommend uh, before we move on? Uh, the things, the other Vice documentaries that I have seen are on uh, aspects of that I think might be less interesting to your regular viewers. Uh, case in point, the Dark Side of the Ring Vice documentaries, which is about bad uh, situations that have happened in professional wrestling. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're all super like super great, uh, and a but but they're kind of heavy. And if you don't yeah. like pro wrestling, it's already like it's already a, a a niche subject. And you get into like the 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 aspects of people, you know, uh, who would abuse drugs, who uh, have assaulted people in the past, things like that. Yeah. Like even I, it's, I it's, don't know about wrestling, but even I know about the Crispin Waz story, which is tragic. Yeah. And that's not even covering things like the the airplane ride from hell or uh, what Ric Flair did to a few people back in the day. Shit. Um, the, luckily, Vice, the guys that made that said like that you can't make those documentaries without starting to hate wrestling. So he said he's not doing them anymore. <laughs> he didn't want it to ruin uh, his fandom. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually put out a new one that came out like last year uh, called Memphis, where wrestling was real. Where back in the 1980s, like you know, everyone believed pro wrestling was real. Yeah. And because of that, people would get into like you know, fans would riot if someone won a match. Things Aww. like that. Like it was a real <laughs> like, sport. That's okay. Yes. <laughs> um, that is not me slamming wrestling and wrestling fans. Yeah. By the way, Vi just cracking it again, down. yeah, again, Vice documentaries are up and down because there's some really great stuff, but then other ones seem like it's just like let's talk about sex and drugs because nobody and else is doing roll. documentaries about these. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'll, but, I'll just disclaimer: I I think there's a real chance that I could be a wrestling fan today if not for the fact that my parents banned it from my childhood. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Uh, 
to be honest with you, like over the past 15, 20 years, like I would say there's no reason to get into pro wrestling now. It's been an upswing over the past two or three years, but like even then, it's it's a hard sell. <laughs> like it's a yeah. hard sell. Yeah, but uh, those who are into it are into it, and you and you and several of the uh, JNM people are among those. Yes, um, indeed. But, but I don't yeah, think like, we're going to do a dedicated wrestling episode for this show. No, I don't say that much. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you ever want to talk about uh, dedicated skateboarding stuff, I'd be happy to show you some like iconic like X Games moments. Uh, we were talking about Bob Burnquist. He actually has what is called the perfect run that he did in 1999. Wow. Where he did he had 90 seconds, and he on a vert ramp, and he landed every. He literally invented four tricks in one run. Wow. <laughs> like, and you hear like this commentary team losing their mind because yeah. it's like this someone no something no one's ever done before, let alone in competition, and he's let alone back to back to back. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you can send me some of those links in the Discord, and uh, and I'll 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 give them a look. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll start with just the Rodney Mullen stuff because I think that's just gonna blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so documentary both recommend. You want to move on to our main topic? Of course, your thing, buddy. All right. So this came about, um, and I guess this is the first time we're doing – we've certainly done talk about game series or and even you and me, game genres with the whole rhythm game history. But I think this is the first we are talking about a specific – not Pacific – specific uh, console or system. And this sort of came about because – you know, I always, when I have a guest on nine times out of ten, I'm like, you guys pick the topic. I'm up with some suggestions. And Felipe has had stuff that he's brought up multiple times that we haven't picked. But a lot of it was like, I there was, a lot of it came, it was like series from these this certain era. A lot of platformers like Jack and Daxter's, like Hooper, Ratchet and Clank, uh, Klonoa. And I think there were even other games related to that. Like um, maybe, did you bring up Tekken or was that, maybe that was someone else? Uh, I've, I, I, here's the thing. I would be down to do a Tekken episode, but you know how dense Tekken lore is? I, I've <laughs> played some of them, so, and I know it's just kept going, so I have a vague awareness, and I need to catch up. Maybe I, when the news uh, I, I, I used to know every character backstory and aspect of Tekken, even as convoluted as it was. I know. And then Tekken 6 happened, and there was a Swedish Mishima, and I'm like, I'm done. I know, uh, Bianca is pretty knowledgeable, because I love her... Uh, anger when you reviewed the, the original Tekken anime and she was pointing out yeah. all the weird retcons. Um, oh, yeah. I did watch the first episode Tek- of Bloodlines and it seems pretty good. I, I've yet to watch Bloodlines because uh, I just haven't had the time to, yeah. but like I've heard mostly good things. Apparently, it kind of like it cherry picks things that happened in Tekken 3, but like again, I have to watch it for myself to... The, the uh, intro is straight out of Tekken 3. I'll say that much. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, so... Even though it was like, I don't know, back at the time I was like, well, I love those series, but I don't know if there's enough to fit, you know, stretch to a whole main episode. Uh, But there was a theme I noticed, which was this certain era and this certain system, that being the PlayStation 2. And uh, I'm not going to lie, this is a system that means a lot to me and has a lot that can be talked about. Uh, So I threw out to Felipe, you know, instead of one interval series, how about we talk about this whole system and its era and its heyday and all the milestones and highlights that come from it. So to start off, Felipe, I'll get into some history stuff, but what are, when did you first remember either hearing about or getting the PS2? So, um, I will say, uh, I grew up when I was a a wee bab, uh, 
I I I had when I was like three or four, I had an NES. Uh, however, immediately after that, I had a Pico computer. <laughs> you know what that is? Heard of it? The Sega Kids computer. Yeah, yeah, um, Pico. Yes, uh, and then uh, Sega Genesis, and I was a Genesis kid for from when I was all the way up until like the mid to late nineties. Just yep. Genesis. My uncle had a PlayStation One, and yep. there were two games he loved to play: the original Tekken and the original Metal Gear Solid. And we would just watch him play. Nice. Uh, eventually, I had a PS One of my own, and I became like a big Crash Bandicoot guy and Tekken and all this stuff. And so when uh, my parents realized how much I loved the PS1, for Christmas, I think the year it came out, I got a PS2. Awesome. And I, I loved it. It came – they gave me three games with it, which was, I believe, uh, WWF Smackdown, Shut Your Mouth, <laughs> uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. Yep. And uh, what was the third one? Was it Tekken uh, Tag? It was Tekken Tag 1, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, I remember, felt like the visual showcase of the launch lineup. Yeah. Uh, when it, like Those big moments of, like, hey, here's a taste of just how big a leap we are going to get. Yeah, because Tekken Tag 1 looks so much better on PS2 than it does in arcade. Oh, did they Because the arcade it? uses the Tekken 3. Yeah, the Tekken Tag 1 on arcade uses uh, Tekken 3-style graphics. Oh. And so for the home port... Uh, they smooth out new models, and uh, there's a little bit too much of it in retrospect. Uh, but like certain like uh, lighting effects uh, in certain stages were like, "Whoa, look at this!" I remember <laughs> uh, motion ghosting was a big thing on the PS2. Um, like GTA 3 had it on by default. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Not as big on in the in, in today, but it was a neat back then. It was like, "Oh, you can do this on PlayStation." So me, kind of a similar. I was well. When I said I was a Super NES kid growing up. I did love the Genesis, but I didn't have the money to get an additional system when I got my Super NES for Christmas as a kid. Uh, but any opportunity I got to play Sonic out of friends or the like, I would. And after that, because I was, I was, I guess, a fanboy at the time, I was like, well, we got the NCT4. And I remember being very interested in the PS1 and begging my parents to get it, but it didn't happen. Uh, so every time, again, every time I was at a friend who had it, and I had a couple who did, uh, I would take an opportunity to try stuff like Crash, uh, uh, Spyro, Tekken. Um, I believe I also... I had a mom and pop video store that you could rent a PS1 for like 15, 20 bucks for a weekend. Uh, and that led me to discover the Parappa and I'm Jammer Lammy original games that we go back to our rhythm game yes. episode for more in depth talk on that. And admittedly, I was a latecomer to uh, the PS2, relatively speaking. So it came out in the faraway year of 2000. And I waited to. I was I was focusing on on other systems at the time, like the getting the GameCube and the GBA and stuff. But I remember uh, the day that I finally saved up allowance and cor- and not court uh, chores, and it was I believe it was the last day of school, two thousand two. So like late spring, early summer, to commemorate the the last day, I saved up my money and got driven to the local Toys R Us again, showing that it's a different time. Um, I. Did not have m- enough money to get any games, so uh, I rented. Actually, let me get to the the really cool part. I didn't think I didn't have enough money for games or for a memory card. For those who don't know, back then, because the games were on uh, disc and the system didn't have a hard drive natively, you had to buy a separate little, like almost like a thumb drive to save data on. Yeah, and uh, I was 
either in front of or behind a father getting some stuff. And I mentioned to uh, the – I think the, the clerk asked me when I was getting it, like any memory card? I'm like, oh, I can't afford it. And the dad was like, oh, what's, what's that for? And I said, oh, you do this. It's important so you can save and save but, and keep – you know, keep your game going and stuff, but I'll, I'll just get it later. And without a word, he just handed me a 20 and it was like, enjoy it. Like, I have no idea who this guy is or where he is now, but that's a good Samaritan. If you ever met one, I, yeah. <laughs> it was, I, it was, this was not a neighbor or someone with connection. I think there's just a guy who had some disposable income and was in a good, generous mood. And I still appreciate that. Uh, and so I went and rented the, I rented three games, Jack and Dexter one, Final Fantasy X and Parappa Two, and that was a like week or so to remember. Uh, I was so impressed by this thing. Like starting out, uh, I feel like one thing that I really want to bring up. Have you ever noticed how like incremental the like improvements in graphics and performance have kind of gotten with each system? Yeah, like it seems like oh the like the main draw for me of the PS5 or the PS4 is just the faster loading. That's just uh, on PS5. Yeah, but like PS5 to PS4 doesn't seem like huge leaps. And to an extent, like it eventually got there, but initially PS3 to PS4 even. Yeah, uh, it, it took a while. Like, if you look at late PS4 games compared to late PS3 games, you can see it. But Or, or even earlier mid-PS3 games because I've been revisiting a bunch. Um, but like I – we probably have listeners who like either – were too young to get a PS2 when it when it actually was the big thing, or maybe you weren't even alive, you know, because that's yeah. some of our age. But you even then, like, you can go and look up screenshots or YouTube videos, like compare PS1 games to PS2. Like this was this was the moment that like, and even compared to like the Dreamcast, because it was more powerful than the Dreamcast. This was the moment where 3D console gaming really started to solidify. I think into how we know it today. Yeah. Uh another thing that the ps2 had that led it to be so popular is it had a dvd player in it it's gonna bring this up this was the dvd <laughs> boom uh yes and, uh yeah it doubled as a fully functioning full featured dvd player because that was its native format for uh game discs and so you could easily play video discs on it too and that was a big part of that led to it selling like crazy because it wasn't as expensive as some like deluxe dvd players and as a bonus you got to play video games on it um, yeah, I know I used it for my like growing collection of like DVDs and anime and stuff all the time. Yeah, and like, actually, uh, I when I was growing up, actually, I I used the original PS One as a CD player, and like yes. I don't know if you know uh, when you played you had the PS One, you put a CD in. If you press select, there would be a, a random visualizer that would pulse yes. with the music and yes. things like that. I've done it and forever. That's how, that was that was my favorite way to listen to music uh, back in the day before Bluetooth speakers. Yes. And even those don't have visualizers. Um, But also another important thing to keep in mind, do you remember what the initial flagship DVD was of that boom? The Matrix. Yeah, the original Matrix. (laughs) Yes. And so that was something that I think also, even though the Matrix game we got for PS2 was not all that by most accounts, um, the movie was – I think there's a big link to a lot of people's memories of the PS2 and the original Matrix. Indeed, yeah. I mean, Enter the Matrix did sell – pretty well just because of the name notoriety yeah it just... but i've heard it was crap i th- actually didn't they do path of neo and that was better 
Uh, I would not know. I've never played it. Uh, I think it got better <laughs> reviews. I think that was more like decent uh, and and to Matrix was very yeah. ambitious, it's, but it didn't come together. It's weird how like that PS2, GameCube, Xbox era is full of like licensed games that end up being like six out of tens. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've seen so many memes about like oh imagine getting like uh, Luca on the Wii or Morbius on <laughs> PS2. There's the meme. Yes. <laughs> Because that's time. what they did back in the day. Um, yeah, then they changed it to phones. Yeah, everything's on your phone now. Everything's a match three puzzler. Yeah, um, but it's 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 funny because like when I think of the PS2, I grew up as a platformer guy. Same, um, same. It's my favorite you know, genre still. Was, yeah, uh, in the Genesis, I was big into Rocket Knight and Golden Axe. Uh, Golden Axe not really a platformer, but well, uh, Sonic. R- too, Rocket, I'm yeah, Sonic, of course, yeah. And then the PS1 rolls around, and I. Played a lot of Spyro 1, didn't really touch any of the other games, but, like, the Crash games, like, those were me and my sister's, like, big thing. Classics. Uh, And uh, then I got a PS2. That was just the platformer system, and, like, I... Let's I get, have. I think yeah. Let's get to because one of the big things that made it such a platformer like haven was that Sony had three exclusive IPs that all reached trilogy status. Um, yeah, and one of them is still going even, and that being Ratchet and Clank, uh, and then Jack and Daxter and Sly Cooper. So uh, Ratchet and Clank, uh, we might as well start with the the one that's still around to this day. Yeah, the Ratchet games are so good on PS2. Uh, yeah, thing is, I, those are the ones I touched last because. Uh, I've oh. never been a gunplay guy. Um, I and so I think I just rented the first one on a whim because I knew it was the Spyro team. Yeah, and it turns out like holy crap, these games are actually really, really good. Uh, Ratchet, Ratchet, I think is the only game series that I feel like each one got better over time. Uh, like Ratchet one is really good to. Uh, up Your Arsenal, I think, is the second one. No, Going Commando, Up Your Arsenal. Going Commando is the second one. And then Going Up Commando Your Arsenal. is where, like, they really set the template. Because, like, th- there were two things I'd say they, they set in place there that weren't the first, that being strafing, which yeah. makes combat easier and more in-depth, but also the leveling up your health and weapons, which yes. is such a great incentivizing you to use every weapon, like, get the most out of your arsenal. Um, and that is just a fact on top. Like, like, they were such, like trendsetters for like great character animation and fun writing and voice acting like i love like the ratchet games have such a fun personality to them oh yeah like um like you know captain quark is great uh, i remember dr. skid Mc- yes dr ferris skid mcmarks uh, <laughs> uh the janitor what's the name of the yeah, not janitor the, the plumber what's the, the plumber name of the guy I don't know his name, but he just he – every time you bump into him in the game, he's bent over. No, no. Um, he doesn't have a name. He is officially the plumber. Uh, OK. And I will say – because he keeps they, – they even touch on it in later games. Like it's funny. I will keep bumping into you. It, have you played Rift Apart? I have not, no. Rift Apart confirms he's like some sort of like omnipotent watcher type who is just like <laughs> watching over Ratchet and his adventures. Yeah. Oh, uh, Courtney Gears. How can <laughs> I forget about her? <laughs> Death to Squishies. Yes. <laughs> Fully choreographed yeah. pop song in the third game. Yes. Uh, um, the humor is so good in that. And they're not afraid to occasionally be crass. Like, um, it doesn't, like, when uh, the bad guy reveals how to be Captain Cork at the end of the second game, uh, the the female character, <laughs> whose name I forget, uh, just goes, What the fuck? But oh they, do like, they do a sensor bar over her mouth and, like, a honk sensor sound. But you know yes. you know that actress. Uh, I think it was Phil and Lil's voice. Uh, you know she was she was cursing in the booth. Yes. 
Um, or actually, no, the one I always go to is remember how Quark was living with a bunch of monkeys in the third game? Yeah. The monkey's like chattering to him, and he's like, it was mating season. How was I supposed to know it was your sister? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like the the I think in terms of quality, the Ratchet games are probably, in my opinion, the best. They are out my of favorite. I love all three of these, but I think I think that and the fact that people love gun playing games is a, are two big reasons why Ratchet stuck around. Um, I know that I know that. I, well, I just think the other two, like they just wanted to move on over time when they got because yeah, those developers are still making stuff for Sony, but they've gotten so, prettier. Uh, hot take. Um, even though the Ratchet games, I will admit, are better, I'm more partial to the Sly Cooper games. Sly Cooper's wonderful. Uh, yeah, one, one, and one is fun. Two is probably like a perfect PS2 platformer. Another one it's, where they really, they really found their groundwork with the sequel. So, fun fact: I have exactly one platinum trophy on my PS3, and it's from the Sly Cooper re-release of Sly Two. Yeah, I was replaying <laughs> some of them recently. I think it helps that the trophies aren't like outrageous in that game it's 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 mostly like story or get all the bottles and stuff and get all the yeah uh sly cooper 3 i think has some of the best individual levels but uh there's a lot in there i think too much yeah uh, i can see people arguing that about like getting cluttered with how many like it doubles not the characters that you could go on on the map with but the playable ones and their mechanics in uh in in the missions and not all of them like i love dimitri the character but not so much his first person scuba diving stuff yeah uh also a hot take here uh i'm i completely agree with uh them deciding to make no more sly cooper games out of three because i felt like the trilogy wrapped up perfectly in a semi-open-ended ending that's just like perfect trilogy wrap up done fuck sly 4 (laughs) a lot of people people hate sly 4 i think it made some bad story decisions but i thought it was fun as a game like as a game it's fine but just like as a like the story is kind of just a mess. There's a character turn in that game. I'm not going to spoil, but it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Time with that previous character. I was like, I was surprised, but I was like, are they going to give context to, to why? And no, not really. Yeah. There were some rumors earlier this year or last year yeah. that they were going to make another Sly game. And I'm like, and at first they were saying new game. And I'm like, no, like, again, the first three are, are fine. They're a perfectly wrapped up story. And then uh, the story came out later. It's like remake. It's like, okay, I can maybe go on board with this. And then Sucker Bunch went on record. Like we're not making one. Nobody's making one. Yeah. So that's dead at hope for now. Uh, but the, uh, the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something about all three of these is obviously you can get them on PS2, but all three got, uh, HD remasters for PS3, and I think some of them are also on the streaming service for 4 and 5. Yes, if you have PlayStation Live, PlayStation I guess now. now it's just PlayStation, yeah. But I guess now it's just PlayStation Plus, like, Gold or whatever it is they're changing it to now, because they, they list it as part of their services. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can you can uh, cloud stream all three collections. Yeah, uh, and that's a... I'd say, I'd say the best way to do it overall is, is on PS3 because there's no lag or streaming errors yeah. that way. Uh, but, you know, PS3s are not as current. But yeah. Jack and Daxter, uh, the first game I, find, I found really fun. And then I didn't play past the first hour of the second game because I didn't like how fucking edgy they made Jack it, in the second game. <laughs> that is one of the biggest, like, when they first revealed Jack 2, I was so thrown for a loop. Like there was no hubbub beforehand. I think they knew we knew they were probably gonna make a sequel. It'll be more like this. And then apparently it was because the first game sold enough to get a sequel, but underperformed compared to what they want. So they're like, let's follow market trends. Let's let's appeal more to the teens. And it was, 
Very strange. Yeah, there's this weird era of just like edgy platformers. I wrote this down. Uh, this was a trend. Uh, maybe less of a straight platformer, but remember what they did with Prince, Prince of Persia? Yeah. Uh, you know, Ratchet Deadlocked. Uh, Which like, was, you know, I thought was disappointing. And they yes. uh, and they went back to the classic uh, formula for PS3 and got better again. So uh, yeah. I think even I think I actually even saw a developer keynote and Dominic has admitted, yeah, we fucked up with that one. That wasn't – because it was also still being funny with the cutscenes. But I remember they first revealed it with like Ratchet in this like Master Chief helmet armor and everybody was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but – and of course – well, uh, we'll get to it, but I, I do want to say, no, all the Jack games are good because I've been replaying them lately, but I – well, one, I think for open world games, Jack 2 and 3 don't have that much to do outside of missions, uh, and it was yeah. – this was in the infancy of the open world genre. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're doing the missions and the platforming and the action and the character stuff, it's still fun, and they're not so edgy that it feels stupid. Like, they didn't change Daxter at all. Um so he he, yeah. he he's a constant in, in keeping things from feeling from feeling too heavy, and I do like that you know Jack learned to talk in the sequels at least, so he had a little bit. Well, Those his first words. I'm gonna kill I'm him. I'm gonna kill Praxis. <laughs> yes. And then afterward, uh, Daxter says, "Remind me not to piss you off." And I'm like, "This is this is changing." But they are they are they are good games. But I do think they're my least favorite of like like mechanically and thematically of of this three, but still very much worth playing and. Again, the, all three of these developers have gone on, have, have stuck with Sony pretty much for the most part. I think Sony own, might own all of them by this point. I um, believe so. Definitely Insomniac. Um, they bought them around Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this, let's just go over real quick. So Insomniac is the only ones continued. They've made Ratchet on PS3, 4, and 5. Uh, also, I highly recommend the Janet episode on the Ratchet and Clank movie. <laughs> Uh, where you proudly declared fuck everything about Ratchet and Clank 2016, the game and the movie. The game specifically, because they made they remade the game, but used the movie's plot, which makes no sense. On top of that, you got rid of the music. Like the music's yeah. like of Ratchet and Clank was fantastic. And that's then, actually like, one thing. This generic I, orchestra. Stuff. That's one thing I think I don't like from the PS3 Ratchet onward is that the the, the the yeah it doesn't have that trademark music sound anymore. They changed composers. Yeah, I mean, granted, with the PS3 ones, like, there's enough really interesting stuff where you kind of it just kind of fades in the background eventually. Uh, like, apart, they got Mark Mothersbaugh to compose it. Nice, like you know, um, Tools of Destruction. That's the first PS3 one, yeah. Yeah, it was a really, really good one. A Crack in Time. Oh That's my the god! Best one. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, but. Uh, like the Ratchet games, I feel like, with the exception of 2016, are still quality games. I I actually kind of like 2016 as a game, and I thought the movie was more mad than awful. But it's it's it was still it was still a detour that we ultimately didn't need. No, because it didn't uh, work out for them either. Did you play ever play? Because I never did that. Like four player, all for all one. All for one. Yes, I did. I never beat it. Um, but. I will say Ratchet has theories that when it when they do spin-offs and try and deviate, it doesn't work as well. Because you had like the Tower Defense game, Secret Agent Clank. Yeah. Like yeah. it just it's they I've heard people complain like you just made the same game over and over and I'm like I I think because it, it doesn't really get old if you th- if you keep coming up with new planets yeah, and even, stories yeah, and like, like here's a hot take. Uh the PSP game Size Matters, which they eventually released on PS2, is perfectly good. Like yeah, I liked it's it. it's short. But like it's a PSP game, it's supposed to be short. Yeah. Also, play it on PS2 if you can, because the PS the PSP only had one analog stick. 
yeah, there's a PS2 release. That's the one I played. But yeah, like I like I'm happy they're still making Ratchet games. Like in theory, I would be fine with more Sly Cooper stuff in general. But I don't know if that equates to new game because again, I'm afraid of where they're going to take the story. Where I felt like it wrapped up like a in a pretty nice bow. How would they you feel if the they just thing. decide to reboot it? I would be fine with it. Like, if even if not a remake, just a reboot, so yeah. that you don't have a, a big bow of an ending with uh, the fake amnesia. So that uh, should I? Do you think people care about Sly Cooper spoilers? Sly like three spoilers. <laughs> go ahead. Skip ahead if you want to play it. Because yeah, should, but go ahead. Yeah, but briefly, uh, literally the game ends with uh, Sly Cooper finding his family vault, and uh, he gets knocked out while Carmelita saves him. And he, we, at first, you think is actual amnesia. You learn either eventually or at the time, just instant improv. He was faking amnesia that he could be with Carmelita the other day because there's no way they would have gotten together otherwise because one's a criminal, one's a cop. Yes, so he basically used his excuse to start a new life. And, and he that, gave all his friends all the loot in the Cooper vault. Yeah, it's a, it's a sweet ending. And then they made more. Um, yeah. But I would also say it would probably be smart to reboot Jack at this point. Like, they left some stuff open with Jack 3, but they it kind of felt like a good conclusion overall. Daxter so got long. pants. Yeah, that's what it was all leading to. Daxter getting <laughs> some nice jean shorts. And a, and a girlfriend. Yes. Never thought that would. Oh, 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 I will say Jack 3 has one of my favorite twists in gaming. So spoilers for Jack 3. You probably know what I'm going to say. This They do the traditional thing of like, oh, there's an ancient civilization, the precursors. They died out or left, but they left powerful technology, and they're very mysterious. And you get to hear like their voices, and it's like this deep Dr. Claw voice, and you see like a spirit, like this skeletal, ethereal blue thing. So you assume either they're going to be really cool when you see them, or you're just not going to see them. And then in Jack 3, they're all a bunch of Daxters. They're all cute little otzels. Which makes perfect sense about why when he fell into like yes. the, the precursor ooze, why he came out looking like that. It wasn't a random <laughs> thing. He became one of them. Yes. And, and I've heard some people were pissed at this, and I'm like, this kind of – I'll bet they were playing that all along because it really fits the fun tone of the first a lot. Yeah. Yeah, the PS2 is a good platformer because not even counting – like the the trilogies, there's a bunch of other platformers, uh, one of which I think you and I have been playing recently with the remake, uh, Klonoa Two. Yes. Which was it's, that is my comfort game. Uh, it's a good comfort I love, game. I love just playing that game and just going through it. And Klonoa is not hard, but like there are certain games levels that make you think. Yeah, uh, especially uh, you should play the GBA ones because they play similarly, but there's more there's a heavier emphasis on platforming puzzles. Yeah, and it's the Klonoa games are super like easy, fun platformers that occasionally you like you're not in danger of dying, but like try to figure out how to get out of this room. Yeah, and uh, I want to throw the the first game in here. I'm gonna cheat a little bit, include a PS1 game because uh, there. So yeah, there are for our iconic series. There's only two of the two core entries, unfortunately. I'm hoping the remaster convinces them to make a new one. We'll see. Um, but Klonoa one is also pretty famous for, cause they play identically. It's fun and lighthearted and sugar and rainbows for like 80%. Then a character gets killed off late in the game. And then the ending, they pull something that is literally the first game yeah. that made me tear up. Yeah. The Klonoa ending, if you don't know it, is one of the biggest like twist endings. Uh, and it's a gut punch. But, yeah. But you get to, when you get to the end of Klonoa 2 where he realizes, oh, we're going through this again? I'm ready this time. Even yeah. If, uh, there's this even, tragic yeah. element where like Klonoa can never get attached to these these worlds or people he's meeting. Uh, he always has to go somewhere. He's always being called somewhere else. 
uh, which yeah. is what, which is like that's begging for more stories and games and adventures. Like exactly, you're literally you have to build an entire world from the ground up with the only returning character being Klonoa, but that's fine. Which is hilarious considering all the sequel prequels that are on handhelds bring back all the characters. Yeah, they just re- <laughs> recycle from the most part. Uh, I will say yeah. shout out. It's not PS2 or PlayStation, but uh, now all the the core Klonoa games have been translated to English. Did you hear about Klonoa Heroes? I'm aware of it. Uh, the so Ant Dude uh, did a video on the Klonoa series. Yeah. And- so Klonoa Heroes is, I guess, it's technically the last fully new game, uh, other than there was the Wii remake and the and this remaster, and it is a top-down action RPG uh, where you play as Klonoa and two other characters, and it's like a dungeon crawler. And what I played of it is pretty fun. Yeah, like, uh, but uh, I will say one thing about uh, Klonoa Two as yeah. as a whole. Uh, at, when I beat the game the first time, uh, every time I would play it um, again, I would p- always play one level over and over again. I don't know if you've ever you've gotten this far in Klonoa 2 or not. Oh, I beat uh, it back in the day, so go for it. Uh, the Kingdom of Sorrow platformer that goes for like 15, 20 minutes. That Is that level. one of the last like, levels? It's, it's one of the last levels. It's the, it's the one with the music that occasionally plays like backwards and like uh, would like like – give musical cues from past yeah, kingdoms and yeah, things like the, that. The end of both games get like more sinister. Yeah. But that level, like I basically, I would, if I was, if I needed like a comfort moment, I would pop in my PS2, put, put on Klonoa 2 and I would go straight to the kingdom of sorrow, which is kind of hilarious nice. that my comfort level is the kingdom of sorrow. I'm trying to think if I've had <laughs> a comfort game in my life. And I don't know if that's a thing for me. Cause like, you remember how everybody's initial COVID relief game was new horizons. Yeah. I played a bit, a good amount of it, but I just, I just, even then, I just kept jumping from game to game. Maybe it's my short retention span or something. No worries. Uh, and there were other platformers on the PS2 as well, by the way. Pac-Man uh, World Two, so good. Pac-Man World. So, Pac-Man World One was the one I played a lot. Just got uh, a remake. On PS1. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to play it yet because uh, I only have so much money. And Sonic Frontiers is next month. Yep, same uh, for that too. So- <laughs> But uh, I heard fantastic things about Pac-Man World 2, but I never played it. Yeah, it's it's very traditional. Um, they don't try to do anything radical with it, uh, but there are nice nods to, you know, the classic Pac-Man, you know, maze and dot and ghost mechanics. He gets some moves like a rev up, like maybe it was inspired by the spin dash where like he can rev up a charge. He has like classic butt stomp. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's it's one of the better, like what I'd say, like vanilla conventional platformers. But that's not necessarily a bad thing if you do it well and it does it well. Yeah, there was also a third uh, one that I heard was not as good. They switched developers, and there's more of an emphasis on combat. Also, a weird choice, but I kind of like it at this point. Everybody talks, so that's like the first. Yeah, time there's think, actual dialogue. I gotta say, if you go that. look at those cutscenes, I'm like, that's a good voice for Pac-Man. Maybe yeah, I'm alone in that. I'd have to go back to revisit to be sure. Uh, so actually, here's a hot take: um, Crash Bandicoot. Uh, four. Well, not four. Wrath of uh, Cortex. Crash Bandicoot, Wrath of Cortex. Uh, if you ignore the load times, was not that bad. No, I <laughs> I agree. I've actually been replaying it because of something I'll say for the end. But I think the general consensus was no, it's not bad. But it's kind of playing it safe. Like you, yeah. they they want. I've, I read they want to do something more ambitious and like open world, like they did with Twin Sanity. Uh, but like. They just didn't have the time or money, so they were like, "Just, just make it a direct, make it do Crash Three again." 
I've actually never played Twin Sanity, but I'm well aware of the the jokes and aspects of it just through yes. YouTube reviews of it that popped up a lot at the time. It's a very well written game, but it's kind of a messy game. Game. Yeah, uh, it's a fun. It's a fun idea with good story aspects. Oh, some of the but, best platformer writing. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, th- no amount of Cortex spanking crash. Uh, <laughs> make up for or, the game apparently has like gameplay issues or crash ogling cortex's butt yes <laughs> to and that acapella soundtrack that some people love and some don't oh i like the soundtrack it's different but it's, <laughs> but it's cool uh i'll just say this is getting to we can get into multi-platform stuff too uh i've already i won't go into it but i've already praised uh rayman 2 and 3 in our mm-hmm. back early episode with the rayman talk uh you got we got a rayman 2 remaster revolution on on ps2 and uh, Rayman 3 was on everything. So, uh, 3 has an HD port. You can go back and play. 2, I don't know how easy it is to get these days, but both great games. Uh, yeah. This was also, let's not forget, this is the moment where Sonic went third party. Yes. Yeah, so I play. Like, what's funny is, like, because I had a PS2, I had the PS2 version of Sonic Heroes, aka the worst one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know, but... having played it recently, the frame rate was not 60, it was 30. And I think it was buggier. And Sonic Heroes is already a pretty glitchy game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah um, don't forget about uh, everyone's favorite game, Hedgehog with Gun. That's well, uh, that was another sample. I was going to say of gritting, of taking a game and doing the edge sword thing. And I'm going to say a hot take. I think Shadow is the worst core entry, not 06. Huh. 06 so, has so has moments that that kind of click in that adventure style. Shadow like. The aiming doesn't work. It's so reliant on gunplay, and you can't aim properly. It's it's so. Here, here here's my take on on Shadow the Hedgehog. Go for it. Um, as long as you're not trying to hundred percent the game, it's actually really short. Yes. So you can beat it, get an ending, and you're kind of like I'm done. But one uh, thing is, this... back in the day, that's hard to justify full full price. Uh, and two, if you want to get different endings or the true last story like you did in Adventure 2 and, and the other games, you've got to play all these levels over and over. Uh, and maybe because this was at the era of video game rentals. Uh, believe it or not, kids, you could borrow games for a price for a short period of time. We'd go to a store, get a game. Uh, uh, and you'd have to bring to it back. highlight of my weekends. <laughs> yes. And to me, Shadow the Hedgehog was a fine rental game. <laughs> like, I, I I would beat I would beat the game maybe once or twice, and then like, okay, never playing this again, and I'm happy with that. Yeah, like, you know, I do feel like this third party era kind of marks a moment where Sonic, where like core Sonic games started getting iffy because I wasn't big on Heroes. Shadow was not a step up, and then 06 happened, and then it became it became very hit and miss. Yeah, like even like I don't know why um, I'm I, I'm I'm fingers crossing that the PS4 version of Frontiers is is decent compared to others. Like I, I'm not getting that thing on the Switch for the love of God. No, uh, no don't but, don't get multi-platform games on the Switch. But but yeah, but because uh, uh, I I had also Sonic Generations on PS3, uh, which also has frame rate issues and load time issues compared to the other systems. Yeah, uh, yeah, I um I, I will, but I will say yeah, we're both. I guess we're both optimistic about frontiers itself at this point yeah uh, like i, I was I, initially so... like what and then like as as especially because of awful uh advertising it, it had a bad reveal yeah uh, but it's they cleaned it up over time and yeah just seeing it's very surreal <sighs> seeing these people on youtube and game sites going to a preview for a 3d sonic game and being like yeah it's good what i played i enjoyed like who knew 
you would assume yeah. it has to be 2D for for it to click with critics. Uh, do you have any? Do you do you have something you're about to say, or do you want me to move on to another yes, game? Just really quickly about uh, platformers on the PS2. So yeah. like we pretty much went through all the big players, and all of them have like good to decent games that we've mentioned. Like again, like you know, Sonic Heroes is probably the worst version of of it, but like I didn't mind Heroes on PS2. Um, the Spyro games on PS2, however, never. Uh, I I didn't <laughs> play them, but I did not. I think Enter the Dragonfly is particularly infamous. Yeah, it's just like out of all like the the platformer mascots of the era of PlayStation, Spyro got it the worst. Yeah. <laughs> like that's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate because I was on PS One. I actually preferred Spyro to Crash, so I was I was bummed out to hear about how we went through. Actually, you know what? I never played Enter the Dragonfly or Hero's Tale, which I heard was better, but still meh. But I did try when they rebooted it with Legend of Spyro, and that was a real "what the fuck is this" moment. Yeah, let's make it a brawler. I'm glad that. I'm glad that they they did the reignited trilogy and I I've I've beaten I'm trying my progress of trying to 100% Spyro one because that's the I again I growing up I didn't play two and three yeah and I could go ahead and just play two and three now but a part of me wants to 100% Spyro one because it doesn't seem difficult fair just time consuming yeah definitely don't (laughs) don't skip don't skip two and three overall because they're they're awesome. Yeah. It's actually a similar progression to Sly, where two gives you more of a world structure and focused story, and then three adds a lot more playable characters. So there you go. Um, I don't think people consider it as cluttered as Sly three, though. Uh, they're more like side missions. Um, yeah, like you're still going through the hub and stuff strictly as and the level and the main level is strictly as Spyro. And one thing I'm going to say that we'll I'll touch on at the end uh, more is one nice thing about a lot of the. Uh, most beloved PS2 games is that even if you don't have the system themselves itself these days, they have gotten remasters. We talked about the main those three platformer trilogies being on the PS3 and now PlayStation Now for some of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Spyro and Crash got these full on remakes. When granted, that's the PS1 ones, but you know you could play them. That's another thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, a big deal for me was the fact that this was my first brush with the concept of backwards compatibility on a home console. Like maybe it wasn't a big deal for someone who already owned a PS One, but I remember getting it and being like, "Oh my god!" Now I can finally go back and buy Spyro and these other things that I always loved or or stuff I always meant to check out. And it's kind of crazy that Sony hasn't really gone full hog on that again until the PS Five. Um, yeah. For those who don't have one, the PS Five fully supports PS Four games and even runs them better. And it's one of my favorite things about it is revisiting old games with higher frame rates and stuff. Uh, yeah. So. But, like, I guess, was that not a big deal for you because you had the PS1? Yeah, like, um, if I'm going to be honest, I had a PS1, and then the PS2 came out, and I played my PS2 games on PS1, but uh, I have never was a tech guy growing up. I was just like, oh, I can just play my PS1 games on PS2, my PS1 memory card works on my PS2. And yeah. that was just all there was to it. I guess th- my point is, like, as well, in this day and age, like, I only have so much room under my TV for systems and so many <laughs> yes. ports. Uh, but also, like, I talk about the performance boost. Like, I've realized going back and revisiting PS3 and 360, like, man, a lot of the frame rates in PS3 in that era are shit. Yeah. Like, they were not – that was not as in demand back then, and now it's more expected. Like, you heard about people going, like, what do you mean Gotham Knights doesn't have performance mode? I can't play it at 60 FPS. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's just – it's it's become that – we're that accustomed to – like, we're spoiled with the current game spec. We are – like, you kids today, you don't know. Back then, we had 480p, 4x3, and we liked it. I, I mean, yeah, like, uh, I guess because of just growing up the way I did – 
uh, frame rate issues and things like that weren't really that big of an issue for me. Like, well, let me rephrase that. Consistent frame rate yes. uh, is no matter what the frame rate was doesn't like the 30 or 60 doesn't bother me as long as it stays like locked like that yes my problem is when things you know slow down skip frames <laughs> yes I'm, I'm also going to touch on real quick uh there were some big iconic titles from square and square enix back in the day uh we've already done final fantasy and kingdom hearts episodes so i won't go too into it but final fantasy 10 and kingdom hearts 1 and 2 touchstones of my my ps2 days definitely uh, so uh, you want to know a crazy thing i do uh I like growing up i was never an rpg guy so final fantasy 10 was my first final fantasy okay uh <laughs> i thought you were gonna say it was your first rpg Technically, a well, Pokemon yeah, exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For me, it was Pokemon uh, before that Mario RPG. Uh, I uh, so uh, so not counting Pokemon. My first uh, RPG would have been Paper Mario, the first one. Oh, uh, my okay. sister, my sister had an N sixty four while I had a PlayStation. Nice. Uh, and uh, the only time I ever really touched her N sixty four was when I wanted to play wrestling games. Yep. Or Pokemon Stadium. Yep. Uh, but there were a couple of games that I played on there that were like, you know, the original Smash Brothers and Paper Mario. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, PS2, Final Fantasy X was my first Final Fantasy, and I, I beat that thing. Yeah, uh, it takes a while, <laughs> but I beat it. Um, and yeah, that was that was another – I feel like for people who were impre- – people were impressed by FF7's tech when it first came out. I was impressed by FF10 techs when it first came out. Like – you look at like the like. You ever notice how like PS One FMVs have like a stuttery frame rate? Yeah. Because I think just because of of tech limitations, and then you look at like FFX and these like better visuals, like sixty FPS MP FMVs, and it's just like, damn, game. This is the future. And you know, full voice acting, like fully orchestrated music, and just very impressive powerhouse and a good game on top of that. Uh, and then yeah. Kingdom Hearts going out all out with like the Disney aesthetic and a lot of the returning voice actors and, and celebrity. Uh, for, for <laughs> so my I I never touched Kingdom Hearts one, but my sister was playing it. I would watch her play it. Sure, she got to Hollow Bastion and stopped. It gets hard there. Uh, and so uh, I went straight into Kingdom Hearts two, not beating Kingdom Hearts one. And did you play Chain of Memories? <laughs> No, I went straight to Kingdom Hearts 2. <laughs> Very confused, I bet, for that opening. I mean, I just kind of just rolled with let it. Let it go. Like I'm sure it makes it'll make sense eventually. And it never uh, did. Type of <laughs> mentality. But yeah, um, quick thing. Uh, speaking of Final Fantasy X, uh, I played about two hours of X too before deciding that game's not for me. Same. I got it for Christmas, and I remember bringing it to a cousin's who would watch me play at 10, and we get to the beginning with, like, Yuna and Riku running around in bikinis singing pop songs, and there's very much this air of, uh, something's different. Like, I'm not saying just make the first game again, but, like, this feels out of left field. Yeah. Uh, Having said that, like, I I cannot hate 10-2 just because it has one of my... We talked about pro wrestling earlier. One of my favorite commercial tie-ins of all time, what? Uh, where an episode of WWF SmackDown was sponsored by Square Enix or Square Soft at the time, yeah. and Final Fantasy X too. And the commentator Taz was a former professional wrestler. He just whips out a PS2 controller. It's like I'm playing Final Fantasy X too. Look, that's Yuna. Look at the guns. Poo, poo, poo. <laughs> <laughs> 
I need to see if this is on YouTube. That's a, that's a good. Uh, like, I think he clearly has no idea who, who like, because like an oh, FMV yeah. is playing, but he's acting like he's the one controlling the character. <laughs> Don't you love in TV when like they're clearly not playing whatever's on screen, but they're like moving around and pressing the buttons, like, "Ooh, I got you." It's like <laughs> yes. so out of touch. For the WWE title. Whoa! Oh man, and the funny thing is apparently like uh, very recently there's no pro wrestler playing the video game backstage footage or anything like that, but one of the NXT pro wrestling events a couple of years ago was sponsored by Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> just it, like, all, it all, it all, it's, it's cyclical. Square Enix is going to yes. keep sponsoring wrestling. Yes. That's fine. Uh, but yeah. Um, and, and actually, I, I've never asked you if you've been familiar with a certain thing. Well, actually, let me ask you something first about something you have brought up, because I know one thing we saw rising at this time was the rise of the, I'd call it like the 3D character action game, the big ones being God of War and Devil May Cry. Yes, um, so uh, I did not play the Devil May Cry games until much later, and even then it was only three. Uh, but three is like yeah. a, a, a milestone. Although there, before all that, my first exposure to the character action game was God Hand. Yes, I played a little bit of that. I really sucked at it, but I liked it. Uh, infamous for this like two out of ten IGN review, and everybody else going, "You are crazy. This is cool." Yes, like um, it's it's like you know, it was, I watched friends play. I didn't actually own it, and I'm like, this game is nuts. <laughs> And I, I had fun watching it. Uh, I, I and so I was just like that was my first exposure to the character action game. Uh, like you know, uh, uh, oddly enough, like I, ha- I haven't played a lot of them. Uh, believe it or not, I've never touched a God of War game in my life. I played a um, little bit of the original. It wasn't my thing, but the reboot is very good, and I'm excited for Ragnarok. That's good to hear. But yeah, games like that. Um, uh, like we're best definitely big in the yeah in that they era all and would, winners. would lay out remember? to the, the platinum of the future like yeah oh, well team clover um i was yes. i will say first not all of that genre was winners because you remember when they tried to reinvent castlevania to be that and they tried so many times and none of them landed yeah castle castlevania just in general just has bad luck when it comes to games over time well, especially 3d <laughs> games it just works as a yes. 2d metroidvania but um and the 64 no. one oh, the fighting that. game that was oh the, the, with the death note designs that was so weird yes uh but uh i will say yeah there was there, this actually this generation saw the rise of a capcom subsidiary called team clover who made i think they only made three or four games but they were all really awesome so there was God Hand, Beautiful Joe, which was on GameCube first, but got actually when they got it on PS2, they added Dante as a featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series, which became a meme over the years. No, that was a <laughs> Digital Devil Saga. That was another Dante edition. Uh, yeah, but Dante is a Beautiful Joe. Dante is a beautiful, yeah. featuring Dante. So uh, yes. it okay Ver- versus battle, death battle versus either we have in one ring we have featuring Dante from Devil May Cry series, and in the other we have bonus funky mode. Who wins? And Knuckles. Oh, and that wins. <laughs> yes. And Knuckles. I mean, that's canon now, where Mania has Knuckles and Knuckles. Like, it has and the Knuckles, end Knuckles Knuckles mode. and Knuckles and Knuckles. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Everything, just throw Knuckles at it. But, um, yeah. yeah, Clover was my favorite from them, and uh, one that has since. Uh, it's also, like, readily available. I think it has modern HD ports. You ever play Okami? 
I have, yes. So good. Yeah, there's there's Okami, and then the, what's the other one? Okami Den? Uh, the, the DS one. one. I heard that wasn't as good, yeah. so I never played it. Uh, I would love yeah, a proper but, sequel, but I don't think that's – I don't – you know, it was, uh, it but they keep well re-releasing it, and remaking it because it's clear that people like Okami enough where they just keep putting it out on newer hardware. Yeah, maybe it's good. Maybe they see investing in a fully new one as a risk. You know how game development is. Um, but uh, okay, no. So we've talked about the, we've talked about platformers. We talked about three D action games. I will touch on. Do you play many FPSs? Uh, I did not. I I'm not a big shooter guy. I'm, I'm I'm well very well aware of like the Call of Duty people out there in the oh, world. I will say. Historically speaking, because I still want to bring up like some historical important stuff, I feel like this generation and the PS2 in general was this was when console first person games really started to blossom into what oh, we the now SOCOM know games. That's so- right. Yeah. yeah, both with online play and like adopting the the twins the twin stick control style style and basic controls. Like I have heard great things about the Time mm-hmm. Splitters games, which were made by the GoldenEye. Uh, Perfect Dark devs who made their own. Team. The funny thing is, when I think of the ga- the FPSs of that era, I don't think of the PS2 because I think of uh, Unreal Tournament on PCs. Right, which actually played a little bit I, of too. It yeah, was well, those and, were. I think it was already established on PC even before that, where people were playing like multiplayer Doom and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but this was like Goldeneye gave gave console gamers a taste of having some fun shooters. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, then like, Halo happened. Halo <laughs> happened, but that's not. It's not PS2, but that's I'm sure that inspired some of this stuff. Yeah, it's that generation is what I mean. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, this was the birth yeah. of the modern FPS. Uh, Medal of Honor was a huge thing in the PS2, and then Call of Duty yeah. just came, came and stole its thunder pretty much. Totally yeah. usurped it. I remember hearing about this great game called Black, which was actually by the Burnout developers. Uh, that like uh, I've I've heard about it, and apparently, like it just like Burnout, there's a lot of destructible aspects about yeah, it. Yeah, that was the gimmick was especially for the time, like shoot barrels and environmental stuff, and like really mess with with hazards and stuff, which is a cool idea. Um, and also, it was it was on PC and it's third person, but I know people really love those first two Max Payne games. Yes, uh, so Max Ga- Payne, uh, Bullet Time, I believe, is is yep. the, was the big selling point of that, where you would jump either forward or to the side, and time would slow down. You'd aim your reticle to try to shoot people yep. uh, as, well, until you land on the ground and bullet time stops. Yeah, and had this which, gr- Go ahead. I was going to say, which, like, was it's fun from a gameplay standpoint, but from, like, a... Uh, looking at someone else play it standpoint where you're just jumping left and right and forward just to stop time. Like, we saw that in real time. These guys just jump, shoot, 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 get up, jump, shoot, 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 shoot. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's a little so, ridiculous in retrospect. Yeah, so here's another... Okay, here's one. I've, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about these games, but I want to ask you if you have history. Uh, this was when GTA came to its own as well. and I've only ever played one GTA game. Which one? At, at Vice City. Okay, uh, which I genuine it was, it was another rental period and i rented it multiple times because i was having fun with it uh but maybe it's just because of me being a dumb dumb middle schooler or whatever i was back in the day i didn't know how to progress certain story modes uh because oh. it's a very open-ended game you didn't you were uh, aware of the map icons like i i was aware there was there was kind of a thing like again you're, you're asking me to try to remember stuff from like over a decade ago, ago. yeah okay. um but i i particularly remember enjoying playing the game enjoying just like you know running around and like listening to music in the cars and things like that but uh i i stopped playing because i didn't know how to progress certain story beats like there sometimes yeah. i would but then sometimes i'm just like i'm just driving around killing people yeah, <laughs> and like trying not so, to get caught by cops. <laughs> here's just the crazy thing: like you look at today, and especially the AAA market, like there is no shortage of open world games. Like they're almost like 
expected to be. It's either you're a linear Uncharted type cinematic adventure or you're a huge Assassin's Creed Far Cry open world. Um, and that latter didn't exist really until GTA 3 happened and kind of just changed people's conception of like how you could do progression and exploration in a game. Like, what do you mean you do not just spawn into level two? What do you mean you can just freely explore this map and mess around with the world and find hidden goodies? Like, it, it created a new and one of my favorite like trappings for games. And I also, I did play, I admit, I have barely played San Andreas. It was not for lack of interest, but it was just a very crowded time for other games that were taking my priority. Uh, but I played a lot of 3 in Vice City and have a lot of good memories of the feel of those games. This Again, the soundtracks, because it popularized having radios on the cars, and Vice City was a period piece. Um, yeah. Great story and dialogue in games. Obviously, the character models look like ass by today's standards, and the remasters did not help as much as people hoped no. with that. Uh, but I'm going to go against the grain also and say, for me, the remasters are – I've been playing them simply because they fixed my one big complaint with the games, which is – do you remember how you didn't get to retry missions right away? Oh, yeah. You would just die. And you then would like, die. Uh... You would lose money. You would lose all your weapons and ammo, and you'd have to drive back to them, and there were no checkpoints. It was brutal, and that's the only reason yeah. I never beat them. Uh, the remasters add, instead of that, it's just, oh, you died. Do you want to just start the mission from the beginning the way you were instantly? Yes. So now I can finally beat those games. Uh, yeah, checkpoints, man. They matter. <laughs> yeah, but we, you know, again, we took them for granted, take for granted nowadays. They weren't as frequent. In the old days, yeah. Um, but what you do because like, it was a PS2 and you had to save, like you would just save before a mission, and then you're like, oh, I failed. I'll just turn the PS2 off and on again. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's let's go back and forth a bit. Are, are any other individual games that you wanted to bring up? Uh, individual. Um, so uh, I don't want to go too much into it because we did a whole episode on it. But there were a lot of great rhythm games on yeah, the PlayStation 2. Yeah, great, like, experimental and even trend-setting era because the first Guitar Hero was a PS2 exclusive. Yeah, uh, on top of that, you, like, uh, Guitar Hero 1, 2, and 3 I owned on PS2 and I played the heck out of those games and I loved them. Uh, we, I'm just going to go through them quickly because we did a whole episode on it, but, like, uh, Rez, Amplitude, Mad Maestro, Parappa 2, like, all on PS2, and they're all fantastic games. Yep, and you never played it, but I brought up Guitar Man also as, like, a hidden gem. Yeah, like, uh, and also, like, the PlayStation 2 was the system for Dance Dance Revolution games. Yeah, uh, DDR Extreme 1 and 2. That's your favorite and one, Max right? And Max 1 and 2. DDR Extreme 1 and 2 are both, like, fantastic. They're the best, in my opinion, the best uh, song listings. Uh, Max 1 and 2 that came out before uh, Extreme were also really good uh, song lists, although they're kind of uh, filled up with... Uh, like the first like five or ten songs are all like here's some popular music from nowadays and it's like oh. i don't play ddr to listen to like you know i played because i went to the arcades i play ddr to play ddr music like you know like, yeah you expect a certain type of of music and they yeah they sold out a bit yeah but i mean i get it but it, that's why i liked extreme one and two there's very little of it yeah i'm not gonna um, say there's none but there's little of it yeah so again like kind of a golden age for experimental rhythm gaming and the birth of one of the of well actually no it wasn't the birth of ddr because that was that was that had ps1 and yeah, arcade yeah games ps1 before. had ddr konamics uh, i've actually it. played the disney one. Oh god Trippy. did you ever play uh the mario one <laughs> yeah, i i have 
you're going to laugh. I have the case for that. I'm looking at it. It's about four feet away from me because I lent it to our last <laughs> guest, my cousin Mia. Uh, she brought it back. And I never put it away. I actually, oh, but I actually have used that uh, dance mat to play Step Mania a couple times. Man, I used I missed Step Mania. I had so many step charts back in the day that I enjoyed playing with. I got lost. You said that on the rhythm episode. Yeah, unfortunately, just you know, stuff you save on a computer. If you don't have it on a on a drive or a CD-ROM somewhere, they just go forever just when your gone. computer dies. Yeah, or, or if you give away, or you trash the computer or something. I kind of wonder, like, what stuff have I forgotten about that if I had backed it up, I'd be like, oh, that thing. But um, let me talk a, a very iconic uh, exclusive that is thankfully easily accessible today. Ever play Shadow of the Colossus? Uh, fun fact: No, uh, I've Ooh. watched gameplay of it i've seen okay uh thanks to our modern day and age of youtube let's plays i can yep. watch other people play games i've never played but i have not touched the game personally i feel like that would be a neat game to watch because even if you're not playing it the boss fights can be very tense yeah um but yeah for those who don't who didn't play it so there was actually eco before that which i tried briefly and didn't really like but a lot of people do swear by it but i i just can't attest to that uh, but Shadow of the Colossus, it's technically an open world game, but the emphasis isn't on finding goodies and stuff. It's just kind of taking the soaking in the atmosphere and riding your horse uh, to different points on the map to take on the Colossi, these big stone and fur giants, and having these like big elaborate boss battles. With um, I will say, if you play it on PS2, like that game was was pushing the system to its limit because the frame rate could really lag with the size and scope of these guys. But that just shows the ambition because. I, there isn't really another game like it, and I always think of like some really powerful uh, orchestra pieces that play during the boss battles. I'll, I'll put one of them in the background of the finish uh, episode, because there's one that always sticks with me. The nice thing is, uh, even though we never got any sort of direct sequel to it, because I think the developer didn't want to do that, they went on to do Last Guardian, and, I, and then I think they broke up. So there was a straight port on PS3, you're welcome to play that, but there's also a, you know, visual remaster slash remake on ps4 also playable on ps5 and that runs great and keeps the essence of the game intact so if you're gonna at this day and age if you're gonna play shot the closet i said go for that but it's a game that kind of has like a timeless feel to it it doesn't feel it doesn't smack of like 2000s aesthetic or mechanics which isn't a bad thing but if you want something that feels like it could be made today like an indie game uh i'd say i'd say go for that so we're kind of, I feel like we're kind of winding down, but here's something – I'm going to spring a well, question. There's, there's a few other things we haven't even touched on. Well, let's, uh, let's touch on the yeah, Go ahead. I've been talking we were much. talking so much about skateboarding extreme sports, and we didn't even touch upon uh, the extreme sports on on uh, PS2 because there was Tony Hawk 3, 4, Underground 1 and 2, and I think American Wasteland on I PS2. I feel like Underground 2 was considered like the last of the golden age though. Yeah, but Underground 1 was my jam. That's uh, a lot of people's favorite. That was another game changer, kind of like open world, go in different vehicles and on foot, make your own character, and there's a full yeah, story. It, like, it's so a Tony ambitious. Hawk game with an actual story mode. Uh, fuck Eric Snow. One of the most <laughs> hated antagonists. I think the true was, ending, the only that? difference is you sock, you sock him in the face finally. Yeah, you, you, you beat him in a skateboarding uh, uh, trick off, and then you punch him in the face, and it's great, and it's, it's cathartic. And it's just hilarious to me that that person would eventually become Haida from Agretsuko and um, and Joseph Joestar from Part 2 of JoJo's. Wait, was that Ben Diskin? <laughs> That's Ben Diskin as Eric Snow. Oh, I didn't know that was him. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm an old-timer, so I know him as Eugene from Hey Arnold because he's been asking since he was a kid. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Underground... Like I think is like my it's my favorite Tony Hawk game, and the thing is, those weren't the only extreme sports games on the PS2, baby. 
Yeah, uh, so I never played the original, but Tricky and 3 same. are fantastic. Exact same boat. I played them, um, I think I played 2 on GameCube, I mean, Tricky on GameCube and 3 on Xbox, but it's the same game, so who cares? Yeah, 2 is more li- is linear courses, but it's super elaborate and flashy and fun, and then 3 is like an open world mountain and more customization, and it's just so yeah. impressive even today. Because it's, like, so f- it's not like there's a crowded market of snowboarding games, so it still feels refreshing to play them. Yeah, it's funny because I remember when I first played SSX3, I'm like, this doesn't have the flavor of Tricky. None of the like bombaciousness, none the of the run screaming. Yeah, none of that stuff. And I'm like, what? This game is going to blow. And I love it now more than Tricky uh, just because of the, the stuff you can do in that game. It's dense. And, and the soundtrack. The, it was a custom yeah. – uh, it was a custom soundtrack from uh, Mixmaster Mike, I believe, that had a bunch of great songs from like Placebo and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and – it's such a good soundtrack. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the there's never been a remaster or re-release of the SSX games. Though I, I do believe – well, it's not PlayStation, but I actually I do believe uh, the current Xbox system you can play SSX 3 on if you have the OG Xbox disc. So that's, that's the closest you're going to get. Yeah. They did like about five or six years ago tried to make a new SSX. Yeah. It was, it was pretty but good, but it wasn't, it wasn't on the same – on par. I couldn't get into it because they changed the control scheme. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just weird to play an SSX game yeah. and not have that. There, the skate games, I think, were on PS2 as well, but I never touched any of them, so I have no comment on I them. I feel like that's more of a 360 PS3 era, but, but it wouldn't shock me. I might that. be wrong. I, I might be wrong. It might be yeah. But when I th- there's one more uh, extreme sports game that I think not a lot of people knew about back in the day. Uh, called Aggressive Inline. Heard of it. Which was a rollerblading rollerblading uh, extreme sports game that was made by Acclaim, who also made the Dave Mirror series and would eventually make the the much foretold BMX Triple X. Oh, that. Uh, yeah. Do you know what's funny? That was going to be a Dave Mirror game, and then he saw it and was like, "Take my name off this." Yes, but Aggressive Inline is also really good and has. It's not as polished as Tony Hawk. But uh, I believe that game actually had sketching before Tony Hawk did, where you would can hang on to the back of a car and mm. uh, and speed up and that kind of thing. And so I have a big personal thing for the aggressive inline uh, game, but just the first. It's the only one, unfortunately, but it's yeah. a good one. So okay, I want to. I had a fun idea for if we're gonna do like I feel like we're winding down, but let's still talk a little more individual. I want you to name one. What was like a super obscure and forgotten PS2 game that you really liked that means a lot to you? Because I have one. I have two techniques. Music Maker. Uh, it is a. It's pretty much just a shovelware game that you're just given a bunch of music samples and tracks, and you just play them where you want to make a song. I've heard and that, yeah. me and me and my sisters, it's. It was, I found it for ten bucks at uh, at a Toys R Us, and then uh, my co- my copy broke. But because it was ten bucks, I have two physical copies of Music Maker in my house right now. Wow. Uh, oh. And it is, it is, it's it's time consuming, uh, and it's honestly not the most comprehensive music tool you can find nowadays. Not, oh, but sure, at the but time, back then, yeah, like it was great. Like it's like, oh, I can actually pitch like the guitar sound here. This is this is awesome. Okay. <laughs> like, actually, I I did forget one more that I wanted to bring up before I get to my like obscure pick. Did you ever play the Katamari games? Uh, the first one I did. Um, so fun. There, yeah, there's a lot of, like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff we haven't touched on yet. Like, one thing I wanted to bring up, actually, the PS2 was great 
for collection games. That was like uh, the re- when those started to blow up more, but it was also before they were being sold digitally. But yeah, a lot of classic arcade and console. Yeah, I had yeah, I had uh, Sonic Mega Collection, yes. uh, the Mega Man Collection. Yes, I had that uh, one. Metal, yeah, Metal Slug Collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, Street Fighter anthology games where you've got I, uh, Street Fighter 1, 2, and 3. On. I actually kind of liked the Mega Man collection more than the current one because like, the menu was him ru- – you could be actually like controlling Mega Man running around through doors Run. and stuff. Yeah, and, and on top of unlock- that, you'd also got – you unlock games. Like, yeah. <laughs> you unlock games. You unlocked – I remember there was a different thing. In, there was because on PS2 and GameCube, one version unlocked the pilot of the 90s cartoon as in, oh, no, he's going to shoot President Lincoln. Um but the other one had like an original documentary, which I, I remember watching and enjoying. You can probably find it on YouTube now. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, great compilations. So Yeah, the Sonic Mega Collection, uh, I remember if you go into the options mode, they had all the Sonic comic covers that you can just kind of look through. There's a great video where the Game Grumps look through them. Have you ever seen that? Yes, I have. I'm, really, <laughs> I'm well aware. I can see but, it forever. <laughs> yeah, uh, and... One other thing, and then I'm I'm done. I'm gonna stop interrupting you. Uh, we haven't touched on the fighting games. PS2 is such a good fighting game uh, that, console. Yes, you you can go go off on that because other than Tekken, I was not that so, big into traditional fighters. I'm so, I'm a platform fighter guy. Now that yeah. that's a thing. So obviously, uh, t- we mentioned Tekken Tag One, Tekken Four, and Five were also on. I Tekken did play 4's- Tekken Five. Loved it. Tekken 5 is so good. It's probably – when people discuss what are the best Tekkens of all time, that's most people there. say it's a toss-up between 3 and 5. Yeah, um, it was so fully featured and gorgeous and one of my favorite fighting game intros ever. Heihachi Mishima is dead. Uh, I remember yeah. I watched that at an internet cafe. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Spoilers, uh, he's not. No, he, he, he's never going to be dead. I just – I love oh, the fact well, that uh, like – I mean, Tekken 7 spoilers, maybe he is. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, that's the same as like Mia saying to me – did you see uh, Multiverse of Madness? I have not yet. Okay, um, well, then but... I won't spoil anything. But she was like, that character's, <laughs> that character's definitely dead. And I'm like, until I see a body, no. But yeah, like um, the PS2 also had Soul Calibur 2 and 3. I did. Oh, you know uh, what? I like how I'm saying I don't play any of these, but I played a lot of Soul Calibur 2 on GameCube. So I played with Link and stuff. But um, yeah, Soul Calibur is such a good series. And I had Heihachi, who is not dead. Uh, <laughs> and, and Xbox randomly had Spawn because they weren't pretty good to put in Master Chief. No. Uh, but honestly, Soul Calibur 3 was my jam back in the day. And I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, the PS2 also had. Um, the Mortal Kombat 3D games, which honestly aged like milk, but at the time I loved. Uh, Deadly I Alliance hearing Deception. About all the, I remember hearing about like, so many extra modes and minigames. There was like, a kart racer and chess. And There's a puzzle and... game in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of fun like extra videos you can unlock in those games, like the infamous Cooking with Scorpion sketch. Uh, which, if you haven't seen, it's so fantastic because it's just like a scorpion with an axe, and he's like, he's going to teach you about chopping. Meat tenderizing, chopping, cake decoration, and chopping. It's just him using an axe to just chop up various meats. So wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you that video as well. I have a few things queued up for you when yeah, we're done with this show. Yeah, you sent me the, the WWE. I'm playing with Yuna. <laughs> I'll talk about that later. Uh, I'll do uh, that yeah. in the episode. But, well, um, and, uh, any others? Really quickly, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. I barely uh, played three, but two is the only Metal Gear I played to completion. And I will say I played it long after it came out because I remember that was the Last of Us two of its day. People were pissed. Yeah, because like the game, Metal Gear games are always about Snake. Uh, but and technically, Metal Gear Solid two is in the end of the day about Solid Snake. You just spend 
three-fourths of the game not playing as Solid Snake. And it was – they fucked with gamers because they hid that. They hid Raiden from the ads. They made you think this was a 100% Snake game. Yeah. Kojima was, was just being Kojima. Yeah. Uh, but At the end of the day, game. it's still a good game, yeah. Yes, yes. And, and you got Snake back and all the other stuff, so don't worry about it. Um, yeah. I will say, uh, if we're bringing up – I don't think I've ever brought this game up on the podcast, but I've definitely brought it up with other people. Or maybe I have. But uh, if we're going to talk about like something that just totally flopped and, and but those who have played it love it, have you ever heard of Sky Gunner? I have not, no. Exactly. I. This is – a very unique game, and it's also interesting in that it was a first. It was a Sony first-person exclusive, even first-party exclusive. Even though Sony chose not to localize it, Atlas brought it over. It is a anime-style like flight sim, similar to stuff like I'd say like Rogue Squadron or Free Space and that kind of stuff, or All Range Mode in Star Fox. Um, mm-hmm. But it's this cute, like kind of chibi characters with this very 1800s Miyazaki steampunk vehicle style. It's it's fun. And it's just super charming. The, I love the soundtrack. I love the character design. It literally has my favorite game intro ever. I'll, I'll post that. I actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, bring my my geekiness here. You know about how people are like AI upscaling old textures and SD video. Yeah. I did that with the Sky Gunner intro. I legit extracted it from the ISO and and. Uh, did this. So you can watch that on your own time later, but I th- it has this beautiful song and this charming, like, Venice, Paris-style town, uh, and it just feels like a world that begged to be expanded upon, and it just didn't get the chance. Um, so it's kind of one of those things, you know, tre- it's like treasure what you got, because sometimes you won't get more of it. Indeed, I hear you. Uh, so, yeah, that is, I guess we can kind of start winding things down, but... Um, I will say one other thing that – so I've told people the PS2 is tied with the Super Nintendo as my favorite system of all time. And one of the reasons that uh, – oh, you posted the Scorpion thing. I'll definitely check that out. Um, one of the reasons I admire it so much because it's something that's kind of a lost art in AAA gaming. This was the peak of AAA gaming willing to be experimental, weird, whimsical, fantastical. You notice, like, when games went HD, they they, they, they upped the grit? Yeah. It, it – I, I miss that. I miss that. Like, Japanese developers in particular were so good on this and the PS1, like, injecting imagination and a sense of – the fantasy into their aesthetics, their concepts, the mechanics, their soundtracks. Like it's become much rarer that I get that sensation from games. It's usually indie or lower budget ones that do it. And now I've learned to really treasure it when it does happen. Yeah, like the PS2 is not like immune to the gritty nature no, of like we you know, talked about the edge yeah, stuff, and not even the games we haven't talked about like Manhunt or Twisted Metal Black. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I heard good things about about those games though. Yeah. But um, I, I used to be big into Twist. I never played Black, but one, two, and three on the PlayStation One were really. I fun. played two at my. I friends, never played yeah. Black because I was a squeamish boy, and I'm sure. like, I don't want uh, a lot of blood in my, uh, in my, in my car shooting game. It's funny <laughs> they haven't not. made a new game since that PS3 reboot, but they're making a TV show of it with Anthony Mackie apparently. Yeah, interesting. So maybe we'll see a new one. I wonder, I kind of wonder. Like, I feel like you'd have to like elaborate on it. It can't just be the death match for the whole game. Um, yeah. but it's a cool concept. So the, one thing I want to say for a closing thing is I think something that proves this game, this system's quality is that there's still people doing stuff with it to this day. Like, um, 
we talked I talked about the Klonoa game getting a fan translation patch. That's happening more and more with games from this this era because there's obviously a lot of stuff we didn't get, but now we're starting to. One that I've gotten into recently, have you ever heard of Namco Cross Capcom? I have. It's like a big, like, uh, it's like a dialogue action RPG type thing. I don't know about dialogue. I mean, there's a lot of dialogue, but it's not gameplay. It is like a uh, 2D sprites on a 3D isometric map uh, strategy yeah. game, but it has this unique kind of like semi-real-time like juggle action combat system uh, and some great sprite and portrait work and just like a ton of like a Rose Gallery from Namco and Capcom. You can play as Klonoa. Yeah, the only, yeah, the only, let's say, that's the only thing I know about the game. I just saw a screenshot with King from Tekken and Klonoa talking to like Phoenix Wright and Ryu. And oh, that's like, the sequels. <laughs> um, Phoenix oh. Wright is in, there were two sequels for the 3DS, Project Cross Zone, which actually did get localized. Um, and I say like the gameplay gets better with each one. Like their game, they're good games, but they're best enjoyed in, in, uh, in short bursts because the gameplay long spurts, the gameplay gets very monotonous. Uh, but it is cool to see these characters together. They get a lot of the same the original voice actors back in Japanese. Uh, and the combat is very flashy and I just love good 2d sprite work. So I've been playing some of that. And the other thing I was going to bring up, are you aware of the emulation scene for PS2 lately? Uh, I do know it's it, people do emulate. Uh, what's funny is like you don't hear about the PS2 emulation as much as you do hear about like GameCube and Wii uh, emulation, mm. uh, especially with uh, Dolphin emulator being a huge thing uh, yes, lately. Yes, Dolphin. Uh, but so um, the main PS2 emulator is PCXS2. This uh, enables obviously the one of the one of the positives is you can play your games uh, in native HD. You know, it's it's not it's not as it's not as stuck in the 480 or like that that fake upscaling where it's still blurry and stuff. Um, yeah, because that's what happens if you plug a PS2 into your HDTV today. It's we it looks weird. Uh, but you yeah. can also people have done widescreen hacks for almost every game. And the one thing is, so they've added two things in recent months that excite me. One is uh, enabling you to both rip and replace textures, which means people are doing fan made remasters for the textures and UIs and stuff. I'm actually working on one for Namco Cross Capcom because you have to – the way it works is you can't just rip all the textures at once. You have to play the game and whatever shows up gets natively dumped. So I'm doing a full ah. playthrough and using AI upscaling for the character portraits, the the icons, the uh, environment textures, um, and it's nice. And That's here, Yeah, so it kind of is giving a new lease on life on old favorites and like I'm going back and because it was such a huge library, I'm playing stu- other stuff for the first time or stuff I didn't beat. So that's nice. Here's the other thing. Are, have you heard of Retro Achievements? Oh, so they added achievements to PS2 games? They just, in this past month, PCSX2, you can log into your Retro Achievements account and they've got already got like 90 games supporting it. Uh, I was replaying Jack and Daxter 1. I think Soul Calibur 2 and 3 have it. Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 have it. Uh, and it's just going to keep coming. Like, it's going to be a great excuse to uh, revisit. For, so for those who don't know what it is, obviously we know that like the Xbox 360 invented achievements or trophies on PS4 and then achievements everywhere else. And said Nintendo because Nintendo doesn't like achievements for whatever reason. But I always think that's – it's one of my favorite little things like – they're optional, but it does give you a nice incentive to try and get you know get the most out of your games and get all the unlockables and stuff and finish all the modes 100% game. And somebody got the idea with emulation, why don't we make an app that like you can – people, users can code uh, achievement sets into old standard def era retro games. And they're gradually catching up. Like I think all the main – like PS1, they do have, they've had PS1, N64, and like Saturn and Forera for a while. Obviously, all the pixel art stuff games, they have most of that for a while. They just started on Dreamcast as well. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there that you can do. 
And I feel like it's only a matter of time before, like, GameCube and Wii and maybe original Xbox. That one's hard to emulate. But I, it'd be nice if, like, we live in a world where technically there are achievements for every generation of games. Because I love yeah. – it's such a good it's excuse funny, to the original things. Xbox has so many games that I remember – I never at one point in my life ever owned an original Xbox. But there yeah. were games on it that I always wanted to play that I never did, like uh, – uh, the Jet Set Radio Future, yep. uh, Cell Damage. I think that got GameCube <laughs> port. Oh, neat. But not PS2. Um, um, well, my no favorite did was... get on PS2, though? Crazy Taxi. Ah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank goodness, like, that era of Crazy Taxi releases does have the offspring of Bad Religion music, because modern re-releases don't, and that it's was, I remember the hearing when they, when they put it for digital releases, they couldn't negotiate or something, I guess, they just decided not to, and it was like, then, wh- then, then, then why bring it back? It's not Crazy Taxi without that soundtrack. Yeah. But yeah, the, I've been talking a lot about the achievements and stuff, so I just, like, do you have any, like, kind of general closing thoughts on the PS2, that era, and, and the games, and, and, like, their impact on you and on gaming? Um, just fond memories, honestly. I still have my PS2 with me, despite having a PS3 and PS4. Uh, for the longest time, uh, the only reason I don't anymore is because I need to get a new converter for it. Uh, for those that don't know, I play fighting games competitively. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're my, my go-to is I would play on a PS2 controller with a Brook converter to play on PS4s and PCs. Hmm. Because that's what I grew up playing fighting games on was like play, uh, like I played uh, Street Fighter Alpha Collection on PS2s. I played Soul Caliber and Tekken on PS2s. Uh, when I entered a Tekken Five tournament uh, for the first time, the arcade machine that was at the Flippers Arcade in Miami, Florida, had a controller slot that you could plug your PS2 Uh-oh. controller into, so you didn't have to use the joystick. Uh, so it was like the coolest thing. So do you still prefer controllers to like fighting sticks? Yes. The thing is, I get that it's it's easy. It makes more sense to play on a stick just because of the tactile aspect of it. You're, it's it's harder to mash the wrong thing on a stick than it would be on a pad. But the advantage that the pad has is a it's it's quieter. It's easier on your hands. And on top of that, you don't have the joystick problem where if you do a token motion, you go down, down, forward, forward. I have a tendency to over-rotate. And then when I try to throw a fireball, I jump forward because I go a little too far in the, in, the, in the thing. And that's something you can learn. But at this point in my life, I'm happy and comfortable playing a controller. And honestly, other people are too. The person that won Guilty Gear this year in Evo played on a PS4 controller. The person that won Street Fighter 4 in 2011, 2012, his, uh, he's a French player who plays on a PS1 pad. Oh. Uh, and so, like, you don't need an arcade stick to be good. Uh, although some might debate you might need a hitbox nowadays to be good, but that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, controllers are still valid, and I, I and I'm I, it's still my comfortable like go to like if I'm gonna play, like uh, I my PC controllers that I have for the time being is a is not an official PS2 controller, but it's laid out exactly like one, and the buttons are a little bit stickier, but like I prefer playing that on my PC games than anything else. As yeah, you know that that controller. There's a reason why PlayStation hasn't done too much reinvent the wheel over the years with their controllers. Like it works. Yeah. Um, I will say, oh yeah, you, you said like you're getting Frontiers on PS4, so you don't have a PS5 yet. I do not. Uh, my sister has a PS5, but uh, for now, I'm sticking with PS4. 
Uh, I might eventually get one because uh, Tekken 8 looks like it might be PS5 exclusive based on the crazy uh, graphics that, it has the, going. That teaser looks pretty. Yeah. So down the line, but I am yeah. in no yes. rush, especially because um, my money is going to travel and conventions and uh, buying but, stuff that I probably shouldn't anyways, but I do. I, but I, I, This has been my year of getting back to conventions. I actually just went to Anime USA like two weeks ago. I'm going to uh, Otaku Fest. I already have uh, four, if you count the uh, fighting game tournament. I'm going to have four trips planned wow. next year. Uh, I'm going in January to Otaku Fest, which is in Miami, so it's not that far. Uh, I'm going to be going For to... For context, Felipe lives uh, in Florida. Yes. Uh, I live in Miami specifically. Right. Uh, I'm going to CEO, which is a big fighting game tournament that happens every year in Daytona, Florida, which is northern Florida. Uh, I'm going to be going to Megaplex in uh, September. That's in Orlando, Florida. And outing myself a little bit for viewers that don't know, in May I'm going to Furry Weekend Atlanta, uh, um, yep. which yep. Uh, which uh, would be it's going to be fun. I've never been to Georgia before, so I'm looking We're forward some to furry it. Furry reps to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 yes, I am one of them, and yes, I have a head and paws and it's cool. a tail. It's cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I was a teen, I think I joked about furries a lot, but now I'm like, it's there. I think there's way worse stuff you can be on the internet. Oh yeah, like it's funny, like like it's 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 like the only people that make fun of them nowadays are like like uh, TikTokers that are 14 are like they're cringe and like, but almost everyone else is like yeah, like either don't care or like they're cool. Yeah. I'm, Which I'm, is part of the reason why I, I decided to go out with it, but yeah, awesome. I, that's a whole bag of worms. <laughs> <laughs> you got a you got an account for that, I believe. I I do have I do uh, anyways, but yeah, I'm going to be All doing a that. lot of conventions um, uh, next so, year, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, so I will. Uh, my, actually, well, there's one thing I wanted to bring up. One fact that uh, before we close it. So, did you know that to this day, the PS2 is the best selling console of all time? Yes, um, I've heard about that a lot, and the main reason was because it was cheaper to get a PS2 than a DVD player. That was a big part. And so, and so a lot but, of people just buy PS2s and just use them as DVD players. That was a big part, but I think it still just shows like this system's quality. There were a lot of people who bought it for the games, and here's the thing. I always thought for a while, oh, second place has to be the Wii. I remember how big the Wii was. You couldn't get the Wii. Wii's seventh. Isn't it the original Game Boy? Uh, no, actually. Do you want to take another guess at the second one? Uh, I I wouldn't uh, have guessed it right away. I was, it was one that I was like, I know it did great, but second number two, I didn't know. I'm gonna go because that was my guess. It's just I remember hearing a thing about like technically uh, Nintendo labels the Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket, Game Boy Color as all Game Boy. No, apparently so because if you, if you, on Wikipedia, if you lump all the Game Boys together, it's still like third or fourth. The the second is the original DS. Huh. Interesting. Let's keep in mind that was like the peak of portable gaming before smartphones kind of took a took a big bite out of the market. Yeah. Um, like, isn't the PSP surprisingly high on that list? Oh, you know what? Let me let me pull that up. I remember Let's... seeing a video about how like everyone assumes it. the PSP failed, but it's actually in the top ten. Uh, it's three, four, the five, Vita six, that seven, didn't do eight, as good. Eight, <laughs> That's a different PSP story. is eleven, uh, right between ah. the Game Boy Advance and the 3DS, and Vita is. Yeah, way down. It's around the area of like the, the Game Gear and the Master System yeah. to Wii U. It is surprising when you look at the fact that okay, so PS2 sold 155 million, which holy shit. X original Xbox sold 24 million and GameCube sold 21 million. So like, look at that gap. Yeah, power of the DVD. Um, but I guess my closing statement is, 
at the end of the day, this system has the sales record and this legacy, and for me, this iconic, war, like fuzzy place, nostalgic status for very good reason. Uh, it marked a huge step in technology, fidelity, and capability for home consoles. It so many games with great ideas and ambition that paid off and and became mainstays even to this day. It launched many great series. It fit the DVD craze at the perfect time. It was this. It was a, at the time a gold standard for backwards compatibility that Sony has only matched again recently with the PS5. And for me, like I said, it marked a peak to this golden age of innovation, creativity, and game design presentation. It is still one of my favorite systems ever. I doubt that will ever change. And if you either skipped its exclusives back in the day or you were too young or not alive back then, uh, I recommend tracking them down, whether you get an old system and games off eBay or I'd say support your retro gaming store, whether you emulate, or whether for individual titles you seek out some of those HD remasters that we talked about because there are a lot of those. The legacy of the PlayStation 2 is one that I'm never going to forget uh, how much it did for gaming and me as a gamer. So, you know, this, this, this thing's pretty good. Yep, I love my PS2. I still have it. Uh, I think I... <laughs> go ahead. No, I was about to say, it's currently in my closet. I whip it out from time to time. Actually, uh, it's a fun fact. Um, I have... Uh, I bought on eBay the PS2 version of Sonic Unleashed. Because oh. I remember playing it a lot back in the day as a, uh, when, I, when it was out. Because, uh, for those of you that don't know, the PS2 and Wii version compared to the PS3 and Xbox version are completely different games. Different levels, uh, different boost mechanic, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, when I hear people online talk about how, oh, Eggman Land is the worst level in Sonic Unleashed, I'm like, that one's my it favorite. Is. It's, like, it's a big obstacle course of, like, knowing when to press stuff and boost. So, I specifically bought I bought Sonic Unleashed a PS2, plugged in my PS2. Guy has still have my memory card for it. I just went straight to Eggman Land and just and just played it for like played it like twice and like I'm happy and I put it back. Yes, I played the 360 <laughs> version and Eggman Land is a never-ending nightmare in that and the last couple of bosses too. It's like one of the biggest. Unleashed is like such a that is the most like highs and lows in one Sonic game for me. Like the daytime, <laughs> a lot of daytime levels are like peak 3D Sonic. And then Werehog and the last like stretch of the game are just like what you'd expect from like the lesser stuff. It's it's such a weird game for that reason. Yeah, I remember uh, William R. Washington, currently on Fightful, uh, former fan off member, uh, tried to convince me to get an Xbox Series S because of the 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 being able to play uh, Sonic Unleashed at 60 FPS with yeah. no frame skips. Yeah. Uh, I didn't end up doing it because, uh, again, I'm saving money. But yeah, it was I'd rather they just do a remaster on everything. Um, it's like I'd, yeah. I'd plow through it again for like cheap money and and better resolution. Uh, I, I, I would I would hope that they do it considering all the hubbub about Sonic Colors Ultimate. But well, yeah, do it better than that, I guess. Uh, yeah. So that's gonna bring this episode to a close. A few things I want to say. Well, first off, Felipe, uh, where can people find you on social media? And again, want to promote your podcasts and any other projects. So uh, definitely generationanimation.com is where you want to go. Uh, that is the place where uh, we have all of our uh, podcast episodes up. You can use the search function if you're ever curious about if we've ever talked about a specific cartoon uh, or anime or movie that you like. If you Just take a peek. If we've done over 10 years. There's maybe a chance. Uh, you can find me personally at Felipe Diaz Vera on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. If you're if you're really curious about my furry side, uh, at Fizucker, uh, <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. And uh, Fizucker also for YouTube. If you want to 
just subscribe and stay tuned because hopefully in about a month or two, I will be releasing a very interesting video essay that I hope people enjoy. I'd say, yeah, I'd say subscribe to that right now so you get it in your notifications. And to be fair, by the time this episode actually goes up, it'll probably be out. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, myself, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Art B-E-H-O-N-A-R-T. Uh, Twitter is the most active. Uh, then I'd say Instagram, then Tumblr. Um, even though you can sometimes you find – got a Twitch too, don't you? I do, but I'm kind of thinking I might just stream on YouTube. Um, oh, okay. I kind of want to look into like what is the best option if I want to like build an audience for financial gain because I would like to. One thing I found out is uh, a lot of voice actors have started doing streaming uh, as a secondary thing. Uh, Jonah Scott, Kira Buckland, uh, I believe. Yeah. Jonah um, Scott's streams are fantastic, and he has YouTube highlights, and they're all fun. Of that, his uh, him uh, going through his fan mail, send him send him a shoe encased in in glass. It's, nice. Nice. Why is that nice? That's weird. Uh, but yeah. also, also, oh, actually, you know, I don't know if he's on Twitch, but I, I've got, uh, I got Kyle McCarley in my recommendations lately because he did the the video about you know the whole mob psycho situation, and it turns out he does streams. Yeah. Um, Neat. So I need to see yeah. which would be the best if I wanted to like get yeah. donations set also, up because I'm, also if if I may plug. Uh, uh, John is also available for voice acting. I literally just like going oh, through nice. my YouTube uh, feed, uh, my Twitter feed. I just see the words "big nose" on there. <laughs> like, I thought you were going to say the WarioWare trailer. <laughs> it's me doing a robot voice. You have a fucking big nose. <laughs> yes. Uh, I know. I know you probably weren't expecting me to bring up that, but I just want to say I laughed uh, during my uh, hey, waiting for uh, my mom's appointment earlier If you today. laughed and it served its purpose, uh, shout outs to – in a second, I'm just going to pull up the uh, – I got asked to do that by, by someone who uh, – Jem, Gemini can 2804 on Twitter who I discovered because he's a very funny and talented WarioWare fan artist. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I love some WarioWare. And I thought you were going to bring up – because I put out the first teaser for the new WarioWare – uh, tuned episode, which is going to be an Ace Attorney and Danganronpa uh, joint parody. So nice. you can also, uh, I believe my YouTube channel is, you can get it under like YouTube slash Behan, and, or you can find the link in my Twitter profile. Uh, you'll see some stuff there. Uh, again, I upload episodes of this show on there, uh, animations, uh, and game, occasional game videos. I'm actually planning to do, not a, once it's out and I play it, not a full-on review, but maybe I'm thinking for certain games I want to do top 10 best and worst features. I'm definitely going to do that with Sonic Frontiers, uh, so look forward to that. And again, you can find this show on uh, Sketchwatch Play, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I need to update the Instagram because I want to do little posts for every episode, and there's quite a bit of back catalog to go through. Yeah. But let me you close have a with Discord server as well, if I'm not mistaken. It is so it's not a dedicated just to the show. It was actually uh, you know how I did the WarioWare reanimated collab. Yeah, and I'm actually still doing that because we have we have minute, we did half the scenes because it would take forever to do all of them. But we have we're doing a second half, hoping to have it out by the end of next year. But it was founded for that. But it's become more general. We talk. I, it's called Diamonds City Nights after location from the game. Highly recommend joining it. Uh, it we talk cartoons and movies and games. Uh, we share art and personal projects and we and memes and we just have a lot of fun. It's a very chill, uh, no pressure place. And we've got we're 200 members strong and having a lot of fun. Um, I think you're actually a member on there as well, but you posted once about Steven Universe. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm a member of it. I pretty much use it uh, just to like 
whenever I get an announcement of like, hey, uh, Behan is streaming or like whatever, it's yeah, just my, yeah, oh, I, that's pretty much what I use it I for. I do everyone notifications for streams and for podcast episodes. But let's close things out with kind of, I guess I teased it on uh, our Lord of the Rings episode, but now I can say a little more concrete. So our next episode after this is episode 50. And I wanted to do something special for like hitting that kind of milestone. For episode 25, I picked my favorite anime ever with uh, Castle in the Sky, which you guys actually covered. You've got a lot of Ghibli stuff on your show. Yes, we literally Dave went through every single Ghibli film. He's a man of culture. Uh, he literally dedicated like, what, two years to doing that. Smart. Uh, eventually, we got through it. So, <laughs> yeah, we did so- it. But for episode 50, we're going more to the Western side of things. Because I was like, I want to bring on, like, some Sketchwatch Play All-Stars. Like, people who have guest started a lot. And so I know you hadn't been on for a while, but you were one of our most frequent early guests. So I reached out to you. Out of now- 50 episodes being on four, I think that's a lot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I also – obviously, I reached out to Christopher Wade, our original OG co-host and someone who, who has come back multiple times. Uh, and someone who's been on a bunch, uh, my brother Patrick. So – all three of you are on board, and we haven't nailed down a precise date yet, but it'll probably be in late November. Uh, I was like, what's something big that, like, us millennials will always mean a lot to us, and it represents the, you know, the 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 goal of Sketchwatch Play to cover good animation media? Uh, look forward to a dissection of the original Lion King for episode 50, a movie that I know all four of us have brought up our our history and memories yes. with. You've talked, like, so like uh, the sequel on Jen Ann. Um, we did both. Uh, we did one and a half and two. That's right. Uh, you did, oh, you did one and a half a while ago, and then you did two, I think, yeah. within the past year. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to be – I have never seen the sequels, and I'm going to do that and force myself through the remake just to bring up my takes on that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not anticipating that remake, but got to be completionist. Maybe maybe I'll watch a little bit of The Lion Guard. Patrick has like said, like, please don't watch The Lion Guard. <laughs> Here's the thing about Lion Guard, and I'm I'm not I'm, I'm gonna save most of my if if I do this episode. Yeah, it's it's not great, but it is surprisingly dark because it's a it's a preschool kids show that takes place in the world of Lion King. So shit happens in that show, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, I know it adds like a shit ton of characters. Like it really expands yeah. things, but it's also like a midquel because Kiara it takes place hasn't between Kiara is 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 eventually. In the show, uh, like, but like, it, its existence is weird because because they never mentioned the main kid in Lion King too. So I was like, whatever. No, they don't mention Kovu at all. Uh, freaking furry bait lion Kovu when he becomes an adult. Oh, Mia, uh, our last <laughs> our last guest has admitted her childhood crush on Kovu. She's not a furry, but she 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 can resist yeah. that outcast <laughs> lion. Yes. And on that note, <laughs> I think we're gonna draw things to it. All things yes. lead back to you want more more furry takes on Lion King lore. Tune in next time. Oh, oh, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be brutal. Uh, it's gonna be so it's gonna be so furry. Uh, I don't know what it's gonna be, but I look forward to it. Uh, again, wishing everybody uh, a pleasant night or or day whenever you're listening to this. Who knows what time I'll upload it. But uh, go play some PS2 and uh, maybe go go look at that look at the Chad Muska documentary and go listen to Felipe's stuff. Uh, go watch his YouTube and look up his furry account if you're into that. Uh, do you have a good furry catchphrase to close the day or am I putting you on the spot? I'm, I'm, you're not going to catch me giving you an ooh-woo-oh-woo sentence in my life. So no. <laughs> All right. No ooh-woo's tonight. Good night, everybody.